tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007, our free phone number. Emma is looking after the programme. She'll be happy to hear from you. Coming up on this morning's show, would you confront a racist? And this follows on from my conversation with uh, Timmy Hammersley yesterday on the show. Having multiple sexual partners does not affect your marriage chances in the long term. And that's according to a new study. We'll chat about that later on as well. Older people urged not to look after sick children as the country sees a record level of RSV cases. Christmas memories of times past and when is it acceptable to put up the Christmas decorations? So all of that and much, much more. We'll also play match three just after 11 o'clock. So if you want to register, you can do so now. The text and WhatsApp is 83 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com and you can do that anytime at all and we're always glad to hear from you. Quick look at the headlines today. The Irish Daily Mail. Attacks on Gardaí must be punished is the banner headline there. Senior Gardaí may have called... Uh, have called indeed for mandatory sentencing laws after a late night attack in Ballyfermot in Dublin left two Gardaí in hospital and uh, a horrific attack indeed when you read the details of that. The Irish Examiner and they're leading with uh, Michal Martin consult before refugees arrivals and uh, the Taoiseach has said that while anti-refugee protests uh, play into the hands of Russians, local communities must be consulted on arrangements for housing new arrivals. Also on the Examiner today, the housing crisis is set to deepen even further next year with new home starts already in decline and experts predicting that housing outputs uh, will stall for at least the next uh, 18 months. And finally, look at the Indo today. And they're leading with a headline that says our banks are paying savers some of the worst rates in Europe. Irish banks are paying savers interest rates that are four times lower than the Eurozone average at a time when interest rates on mortgages are soaring. The average paid out on savings is a mere 0.17% or €17 on a yearly deposit of €10,000. Now that's compared to 69% um, in the Eurozone. So the bank's ripping us off once again. And uh, that story of uh, the Gardaí suffering a horrifying facial injuries as well in the uh, Irish Indo today after being beaten over the head with his own torch in a group assault in Dublin. Now if you want to make con- a comment on any of those headlines, 83 Timmy Hammersley spoke to me yesterday regarding an incident over the weekend where he stood up to a man being racist to two young men after the Ireland rugby game. Now he stands... Uh, resulted in the man apologising to the boys involved. Timmy says that we need to make a stand when we see these incidents. So, I suppose the question is, would you stand up against a racist if faced with the same scenario? We asked our listeners and posted the story on Facebook, and one of our listeners, Anne-Marie, shared her experience, and she joins me now. Good morning to you, Anne-Marie. 
Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Dota, and lovely to talk to you today. You make the point that racism has no place in our society because you have personal experience of this, Anne-Marie. Oh, it most certainly does not stand in society and it shouldn't be tolerated at any given time. Tell me about your own experience. Um, it began a number of years ago, Fran. Um, my, one of my sons is mixed-race black. Um, his father, St. Lucian, and me and myself, obviously, being from Clonmel. Mm-hmm. I came home from England a number of years back after living there for a few years. I, my son was about two when I came home. He's 25 now. Mm. And we personally dealt with racism. in a, in a. It was horrific now, I can only say. But it went on for seven and a half years, friend. Did it indeed? It did, it did. And it begun on the New Year's day, I think it was, a number of years back when he was 10 years of age. Mm. And what happened was um, there was a lad where I live out here in the village and my son really wasn't particularly good friends with him but would, went to school with him and would pass the time of day. Mm. But this particular day brother across, he was going over to see a friend of theirs, it was New Year's and they were like sharing everything they got for Christmas and you know, playing mm. their games and whatnot. And I said, you're to be over at such and such a time now for the dinner. And that was grand. And an hour or two later, my younger lad came running in saying, Nanny, Nanny, uh, Mammy, Mammy, Thomas is getting bit up, up the road. So we ran out anyway. And what happened, what transpired was, the young lad had asked my lad to hang out. And my lad said, no, I'm going over to my friend. Mm. And the lad didn't appreciate that. And he began calling him, can I use the word? N-word. The N-word, my God. Yeah, he called him that anyway. And my son, I always told him that allow anyone to bully you in any shape or form. Mm. So my lad went up to this particular lad and said, if you call me that again, he said, I'll dick you. So he went on anyway, went over to his friends and on the roof back home, this young lad was waiting for him to come back along. And we would have to pass this particular person's house to go up and out of the village. Mm. They're at the entrance. Mm. So the young lad was waiting for him and he, he continued to call him the N-word. I don't really like using it. But yes, anyway, I know. Yeah, no. My lad turned around and went back up to him and he said, here, he said, say that to my face. And he was my lad was only 10 years old at the time and this lad was about the same age, give or take, 6 or 12 months, give mm. or take. But my lad asked him to repeat it and he did. And if he did, then didn't my lad punch the head off him? which I didn't condone that either. Mm, But mm. he was standing up for himself. And my younger son came running in to tell us what was going on. But this other lad's father had copped what was happening and he came out and he bet the living daylights out of my son, the father of this young lad, who was in his 40s at the time. And when we got my son to A&E that night, that man's footprint was on my son's chest. My God. The guardie were called. They'd done what they could do. But they actually had never dealt with a racism case till that given time. Because it was, it was so it was so rare, I suppose. It was then. one well, I think not even rare, Fran. It's just people are too scared to stand up and speak out. But I got past all that of being afraid of people and standing up because I had to stand up for my son. But there was files, guards were involved, there was files sent to the DPP on numerous occasions. This became a daily occurrence after that for seven and a half years. And every file that was sent to the DPP was returned due to lack of evidence. There was no adult witnesses to any of the assaults. And there was assaults on almost a regular daily basis. 
How did that uh, affect your son, Anne-Marie? How did it affect... In a big way. It affected his mental health, obviously, in in a big way and long-term. Obviously, that'll stay with him for the rest of his life. But I taught him to be the better person, stand up. We tried for counselling. We tried for everything. Um, The Gardaí and Clonmel were absolutely fantastic. It never dealt with racism until that moment. But this became an almost daily occurrence. We had death threats sent to us by note. We had trocra boxes posted in our door. Which, trocra um, boxes? Yeah. Please donate to send, and I won't say my son's name on radio, but yeah. uh, please donate to send him home. And oh, my God. A banana, banana thrown at us out of the man's car window. Oh, stop, stop, stop. With his name on it, um, send him home on the banana boat, all the all sorts of stuff. And then it accumulated, it got to the point of my whole front wall of my house spray-painted one night with car spray-paint with the N-word and my son's name all over the wall. The Gardaí came out, the forensics came out, but again, there was no evidence. But this kept happening and happening and happening day in and day out for seven and a half years. It actually almost destroyed myself. I kind of blamed myself. Why did I bring Thomas home? Why did I do this? Why did I do that? And then I thought to myself, well, hold on, I'm not wrong here. They're wrong. But they were big, they, they got to the point that they were, even their kids were doing certain things. So you, you're not surprised at all then, I guess, to have heard no, when, Timmy Hammersley's story man, yesterday. When yeah. I heard him yesterday, I said, fair due to that man for standing up, because nobody stood up for us. Only the guards. And I think they were sick of looking at me going in making statements. Day and in, and day they out. were limited in what they could do, I Very suppose. limited, yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially because we had nobody stand up and say, well, look, I saw that happening. People were afraid to stand up and say, because they had to live next door to that same man that started this. Yeah, it's, it's just... Um, and yeah. Fran, it went on and on and on, and I mean, it got to the point where I actually went to a solicitor in the very early days, mm. and I sent them a letter telling them that if it didn't stop, I would prosecute just to give them a heads up, thinking it might, you know, stop it. And all I got the following day after they received the letter was the man's wife followed me to the bus stop out here in the village and followed me and bit the head off me at nine o'clock in the morning and told me I was going to shut my mouth. But I refused to stop. I I kept it up. What do you think? I mean, have we improved any over the years, do you think, uh, Anne-Marie, in terms of tolerance and... uh... Yeah, I think I think to some degree we we obviously have kind of turned around, and a lot of people are more accepting of yes. different races and mixed race and so on and so forth. But there is an element of people there that just can't change. They just they don't. I suppose they were brought up in a, in a different era. Yeah, but I mean that's that's no excuse because everybody has a. You know, I mean, we're informed about inclusivity and how important yeah. that is all the time yeah. now. And, you know, this, I don't see any excuse for that. No, no. Like, I mean, even when, when I became pregnant with my son, it took me a long time to tell my parents. Did it? You know, it did because we were brought up in a way that you didn't do that. It wasn't heard of them. And can I ask you, Anne-Marie, when you did tell them, I mean, again, you don't have to answer any of this, but what was their reaction when you said you had a mixed-race baby? Um, it wasn't very easy for them to accept. I remember my mother, God rest her, she's gone a couple of years now. I remember the first thing she said was, that's not fair on the others, because I had two older children and 
once she had met them and came over to London to stay with me for a few days, yeah. um, they saw the other side of it and they were more accepting of the situation. And even when I came home from England when my lad was only two, he used to spend a lot of time with the forge with my dad. He used to love being over there. Yes. And it, it, it just became the thing. It was accepted. But it, I, I can only imagine if, if the era that they were brought up in, but over time things change and continue to change and hopefully for the better. But when this man done what he done to, to myself and my son and my family, because it didn't just affect my son, it affected all of us. It went on and on and on. And like I said, all the files kept getting returned mm. with lack of evidence. Yeah, and I, I suppose what you heard yesterday, it brings back all those memories to it you. It is. I was sitting yeah. here in the kitchen having a cup of coffee and I was like, oh my God, thank God for some people like that man to stand up and fair juice to him. Because I know the people, obviously, that said what they said, if they were sober, they probably wouldn't have said that, but they still taught it. All right, Anne-Marie. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us uh, today. It's certainly, you know, a yeah. personal story like that really brings it home to, uh, to us well, we, what this can do get, to a family, you know. We did eventually get a conviction in the end. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Anne-Marie, yeah. thank, you, thank you so much for coming no on with us today. Thank no you, Joseph. Thank you and bye-bye to you now. That's Anne-Marie speaking to us uh, today. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Thomas says, I feel for that woman. Racism or bullying has no place in our society. God bless the young boy. And I'm glad that woman spoke out. Uh, Patrick says, uh, disgraceful what that lady and her son went through. Um, I would stand up against the sick, disgusting behaviour. And uh, that's into us on 083 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 083-311-3311. Miranda Meyer is a Romanian woman living in Clonmel and she joins me now. Miranda, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Thank you for having me. It's uh, you're very it's welcome. It's a pleasure. Lo- lovely to talk to you again, Miranda, and thank you so much for coming on with us. You have an interesting story, Miranda, um, because you you were you worked in a GP practice, I think, in Kerry. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Back in 2017. Will you, Will you tell me that story about what happened to you there? Yes, and I'm glad that now I can smile and I can look back and. It doesn't affect me, but I remember quite well the feeling. And it was a Saturday morning. I was uh, doing my uh, shift um, in the practice, and the gentleman came uh, and was very uh, quite tough to to see that someone is sitting in front of you, walking through the door and talking about yourself with someone else. So I know... He didn't mean anything bad, but for a woman in her early 40s, struggling to make her own way here, Mm. 
it was quite debilitating, to be very honest. So that the comment was, uh, I'm here and there is a woman, a non-national woman in front of me, and she doesn't understand what I'm talking about and what I'm looking for. And he had a conversation with someone else on the phone, obvious. In, so, in front of you, Smaran? Yes, so he was talking, he was standing in front of me, talking to someone else on the phone and saying that out loud in front of me. So, of course, I was well able to understand. The problem was that he didn't get what he was looking for and he was looking for was beyond my, um, was outside of my duty. Yes, and I couldn't yes. do that for him anyway and I didn't. But for me, hit the hit home as a, my self-esteem was shattered. So it really affected you? Of course it did. Of yes. course it did. Because I came in Ireland and, of course, I, I never claim and I would never do that my English will be like yours here. I, would, I will never claim that I will be Irish. I do appreciate where I'm coming from and my background and my Romanian um, roots. And But I came here being totally honest, wanted to work and... Uh, I did put my did my best as always to uh, learn English and to be able to to communicate. Mm. So of course it hit uh, very in not in a in a very pleasant way. Yeah. yeah, it's it's You see, we were of the opinion that we were a very open race of people here, and we were wonderful to everybody and all of that. And the reason being that when I was growing up, you see, it's very rarely you would have come across anybody living here who was from outside of uh, the country. So you know, we were patting ourselves on the back when we we had no experience of this. And I think the moment that we did then, when we had non-nationals living among us here, all of a sudden, all these things emerged that indeed there was prejudice here and and there was racism here yeah i yeah i don't know if i will generalize and it's funny because beyond that moment i felt so welcomed and so loved and so supported in ireland that's why i'm still here and especially in a community as clonmel I love Clonmel. I love the local community spirit, what I never sensed in any other place where I was in Ireland. Um, I tried to move in, in County Kerry and didn't fit well with me. So I came back to Clonmel. I really love the, the spirit. So I think there is in Irish spirit that But I think when it comes to racism, is about what a person feels and how a person feels like it's right. Of course, through my work and with everything what I believe and the way how I look at things now, absolutely I understand where a person is coming from when um, choose a behavior who can be interpreted as racism. And that's very generous of you to see things like that because you you often spoke to me about being in a state of love and acceptance. Is that all part of that, Miranda? I think I'm... Yes, it is. And I think I'm very blessed that I can... Um, I can look at things like that. And I wish every one of us to be in the same place because I always said, and I will repeat that, what is accessible for me is accessible for everyone else. I'm not 
any special by any mean, like more special than you, fine, or any other person. We all have the, we are we have all open uh, way to to these feelings once we are aware and we know how to put to put our minds to it. And, and our love and our heart. And with the exception of the story you told me, I mean, has there been any other incidents of you being treated poorly or? No, I don't. I don't think so. And that I think what happened there was, it was a lesson what I learned. Like after I put my bits together, because literally my heart was shattered. And I have to say, if I'm being very honest, I think that was the top of the the iceberg come back in Clonmel because it was um, it was of course a lot of things in on the background in the background but I think it was so I felt so low that I needed to do something so anyway it was big enough uh, at that time mm. but when you reach when you uh, get to the bottom of it you from there you only can go upward so when I hit the bottom from there I went upward so I needed that experience, even though it was nice. It wasn't nice by any means, and I don't want anyone to. It can. It's always when you change a behavior, um, it can be painful, or it can be without pain. Now, in my case, it was painful because I needed that experience for some reason. But um, after that, I think I didn't need that experience anymore. So I didn't attract that type of. I was in peace with myself. Well, what what a lovely way, loving way to look at things that you think that played a part in, in teaching you something, I suppose, or in, in, in the experience you're, you're looking for. Yes, and God bless that gentleman where he is now. I think um, you all, that's the danger about the racism and about the bullying, because bullying, uh, racism is another type of bullying yes. from my point of view. So you need to make someone bad in order you to be valued to feel valued and how um how not nice is that and how how much love do you you need to feel for a person like that? i'm feeling sorry for someone now from the same where i am now that that is so generous to 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 say that you you're actually looking at it from the bully's point of view or from the racist point of view and for them to value themselves they have to mistreat somebody else exactly Exactly. Wow. Now, I don't approve their behavior. Don't yes, get of me course. Wrong. Absolutely not. But if I'm looking that way, I accept and I don't take that on me as a person because there is where we can make a difference. Um, when you have, when you deal with a child, for example, and it's your own child, and you, uh, I was there with Lucas, with my son, and he was bullied. I had two options. I had the option to go to school and to um, put that up, the situation up and bring a light on it and um, ask someone else to take charge and ask that uh, guy who bullied Lucas to be punished or whatever. Or I had the other option to teach Lucas how to deal with the situation because if wasn't bullied in school, was probably racist later in life and if he didn't know how to deal with that behavior in long term he would still be affected and how d- how did you teach him to to deal with that then Miranda? i didn't 
bit of both, to be very honest. So, of course, I raised up because I, I don't uh, accept bullying. Like, I don't think yeah. it's a good behavior or racism. So I did speak with school and I did my part in that just to raise awareness. Mm -hmm. But in the same time, I sit with Lucas and I realize that he doesn't... I, I taught him and I learned... He, I, I try to open his eyes that he doesn't need that, that behavior. Mm. So stand up for yourself. Let the person know that it's affecting you. And step in your power, because what happens in that moment, you give your power away. When you accept bullying and racism, you give the power away. And, and what happens when there's, as in Anne-Marie's case, I mean, when violence is part of the, of the equation as well? I mean, what, what do you teach him about that? I mean, if he's being attacked, for example, Miranda. Now, I wouldn't accept any violence. And, of course, when it's violence involved, I would say go out and ask for help. Yes. And absolutely, like, pick up and ask for help. And there, I think there are a lot of um, places where you can address your... Now, of course, the fear is huge. And I, I only can think of how, what's going on in a, in a person's heart and... Um, how debilitating can be for someone to be, you're getting paralyzed emotionally. Yeah. And so that's the case where, okay, go and ask for help. Now, I think um, people who are exposing subconsciously to these situations, something else is going on. So you need um, psychologically, the way how I'm looking now at, at the situation is when you deal with something like that and something like that happens to you is because you only can feel safe and self-defending yourself like if you feel that danger and then your brain knows that okay i'm in danger now and i need to do something I, it's more complex what i'm saying by but uh i think you have to address that definitely uh, the violence is beyond everything what I accept like that. Right. And, and finally, Speranda, can I just ask you to make a comparison with your own country of Romania? Um, yes. What, what would be the situation there with racism, for example? Is racism alive and well in Romania? So, as far as I know, now, to be very honest, I think seven years since I'm in Ireland and I was quite disconnected from the... Mm. the yeah. situation there. I think it's a, a huge awareness happening since but yes in um we didn't have so for us we grew up in communism mm. so it was very inside that you have to think that the borders were shut completely so we didn't have access to barely we had access to the other county in our own country yes so it was very but we had a lot of hungarians because i was living near the border to uh, with uh, Hungary. And um, yes, we grew up with including everyone else. It was very little, like I can't remember any situation, probably once when, once I, I heard as a child that a Hungarian person, but wasn't nothing mean about mm. it. Like we were so used to live with them that they were part of, Yes. Like, yeah. It's very interesting indeed. Miranda, it was gorgeous to talk to you today. Thanks so much for your time and I wish you well, Miranda. Thank you. Thank you so 
much, friends, for having me. Thank Have you. a lovely day. Bye. Bye. You too. Thank you. Bye bye. That's Miranda Meyer, there, Romanian woman living and working in uh, Clanmel um, with her take on this. What about you? 083-311-3311. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now we can't uh, continue with the conversation about racism and James joins me now. James, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, James. What's your what's your take on this? Uh, well, number one, there's no uh, room for racism anyway. Um, there shouldn't be. Um, you'd be afraid that I've aunts and uncles and went over to, over to the UK in the, in the 60s and e- even then the signs were st- still up in the windows you know the no no blacks no dogs no Irish and uh, I'd hate to think that we'd, we'd uh, end up going down that road hopefully not and, and do you not think James that you know there's an element of that here anyway that we have gone down that road there's a certain amount of it yeah um, but n- not on that scale and, and it, it, Certainly hope it wouldn't ever go that way. Mm. But, I mean, have we not always had this where the travelling community is concerned, for example? Uh, yeah, I suppose we, we, to a certain degree, yes. Um, wouldn't be on the same scale, though, I, I don't think. I wouldn't hope so, any. Mm. would you, you know, the answer to it is what? I mean, people keep saying, you know, it's all about education, but we've never had as much education as we have in this generation, and and still uh, we, we have this, you know? There's, one, one word is probably something up, tolerance. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, live and let live. That's, that's what I say. Yeah, and I mean, have you ever witnessed uh, a situation of people being racist? <laughs> I'm, I'm a Tipperary fan living in Waterford, so I get it ah. all the time. <laughs> I get it all the time. That, that can't be easy, yeah. And now, no, that, no. <laughs> of course, we, you know, we have to sort out the differences here. There's a lot of old jibing that goes on about hurling and football and stuff, yeah, which yeah, nothing yeah. to do that's, with anything. I'm only, I'm only of course, yeah, of course. But I, I, I'm, really what I'm getting to is what Timmy did, what Timmy Hammersley did, which is that he stood up to a situation. He was absolutely incensed with what was yeah. going on and he confronted your man. Um, have you seen a situation where you might like to do that, for example? Um, not, not really. Yeah. Not really. Um, but I, I'd like to think that I would stand up if if if, if I did see it happening. Mm. I, I wouldn't like I wouldn't be afraid to. Yeah. And it's 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 normally um, you know, it's, it's like the bullies, bullies. You know, if you face down a bully, yeah. um, yeah. you know that's. They're normally cowards, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, And what about Miranda being very generous and loving, I suppose, in her attitude, where she looks at it from the point of view of the person who's being racist or the person who is bullying and saying that, you know, it's their issues of lack of self-esteem and all of that. Would you find... I certainly would find it hard to be that generous uh, about somebody, but would you? It's it's about finding a balance, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's that's the thing. Um... 
Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one, friend. Yeah, all right. James, really good to talk to you today. We and appreciate you your time. Thank you, James. No, Thank you. Thank care. you. Bye bye to you now. That's uh, James. And uh, Tony is with me now. Tony, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Uh, good to talk to you today. Um, again, you're making reference to the idea of the no dogs, no blacks, no Irish uh, in uh, the UK. Yeah, um, I suppose you see racism. If we, if we look back a few years, we didn't really experience racism in Ireland. Yeah. Now, against the Irish, but I certainly don't think we experienced it in Ireland for the simple reason we were very insular. Yeah, yeah. We, we were very self-contained, so you were Irish and that was it. Mm. We didn't have many people, and certainly we didn't have people that wouldn't have been easily identifiable as non-Irish. Yeah, people of colour. We didn't have that many people of colour back in my day, certainly. Anyway. No, certainly. No, and so we, we didn't really um, uh, suffer from from, from the, the scourge of racism. Well, we weren't tested, I suppose, Tony. Is that fair to say? Um, correct. I think that would be a very fair comment. Yeah, yeah. If something isn't, isn't literally visible... Um, you know, I, I, this was a conversation I had with somebody recently. You know, I wonder if you put a group of blind people together, would they have racist thoughts, even though they didn't know somebody's ethnicity and things like that? Oh, what a, what a very very uh, good comment that is. Yeah, that's that's really worth pondering on now, isn't it? I think we we do naturally as humans, we immediately. Um, subdivide people into groups because of their looks and perhaps their skin tone and things like that. We're, we're very quick to, on the visual side of it. And uh, that informs our, whatever then, our perception of people, I suppose. I think it? it does, and certainly in, in a lot of cases it would it would start the process of the, the whole train of thought of this person is not of my tribe. Um, wow. And is that what it goes back to? Some sort of a I don't know, prehistoric thing that's in our brains that, yeah, these are outside of my tribe and I need to be fearful in some way. I, I think we are predisposed to look after our own tribe. Wow. Um, and that would be my own opinion. I suppose it, it, it's this fight or flight nature. It, 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 we would be, I would imagine, something deep in our psyche tells us that we have to... Have to um, look after our tribe, our family, as you might call it. Right. And with, you know, education and all of that, we can fight back against that and say, look, this is nonsense. It doesn't apply apply to our world today. But you're saying to me that some people wouldn't have that ability to do that and they just have some sort of natural prejudice. Whatever about the ability, everybody would have the ability, but it does your... your um what would be the word? Does your psyche kick in and and override your ability? Yes, yeah. And does it does it cloud your judgment? Isn't that a very interesting way to to think about things? <laughs> the, it, it, both yourself and James, I know, were making reference to the no dogs, no blacks, no Irish. But you know, I looked that up because I was wondering about the genesis of it. And Irish activists, I know, Tony asserted this back in the nineteen eighties, but seemingly. There is no evidence whatsoever that any such signs existed. I, I would, I would say that would be a very fair comment. I mean, with internet and everything now, and and uh, the wide false news can be very easily um, taken to be. And if you hear a story often enough, it almost becomes absolutely. Uh, and this has been repeated time and time and time uh, again. Seemingly, in the in the Irish archive, there is one photograph 
um, of a sign in a and b window that says no dogs, no Irish uh, need apply. But the provenance of that is somewhat uncertain by all accounts. Yes. So that's yeah. that's kind of interesting, isn't it? That we keep referring to that and maybe it has no basis in, in truth. That's that's possibly the, and of course because it's been repeated so often it's it's because it's, it's sort of entered uh, popular yeah. culture and and that's it. But yeah. we have the other side. There was a very good program on last night on Channel Four, David Badiel, um about the Jews and Jews don't count, which was, and his point was that um, because anti-Semitism has been with us for so long. Yes. Um, that it almost doesn't count because it's it's uh, we've become almost immune. Not maybe immune is the wrong word, but we we don't really consider it as to be racism any longer. It's, because the the Jewish community. It's um, just there in some way, yeah. And I mean, you know, back through literature and everything. I mean, Shakespeare, I suppose, with um, uh, Shylock and all of that. Uh, um, that that perception of the the mean spirited Jewish character and all of that. And in fact, you know, every so often, every few years, I have a go at trying to read Ulysses, and I did so again a couple of months ago. I couldn't believe the anti-Semitism in in Ulysses, for example. It, it, it is sort of ingrained, and I suppose uh, for the last eighty years, eighty odd years, uh, generations have, have been exposed even to the more horrific side of it. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, I suppose, when you do think of it, when you see the pogroms in where the the Jews were forced out of out of Spain and forced eastward, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it has been happening ad nauseum over the years. And uh, it it has almost become the norm, and and that was his point that it it it, it is um, it's almost been going over our heads now that it has become almost normal and acceptable. That's very interesting indeed. Really good to talk to you, Tony, and we appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank right. you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Tony's view there. And let's go back to the phone. And Willie is with us. Good morning to you, Willie. Hey, Fran, how are you keeping? I'm very well indeed. What what do you think about this uh, racism in the in the country? Is it rife, Willie? Ah, I think there's elements of it, all right. Uh, but, um, do you know, and it's not nice, obviously, but I'd be thinking, uh, do you know, a lot of it can be brought on by, by policies and all the rest of it as well. Like, you know, I'm just looking, listen, I live in the country, from here to Castle Ball in here now. I live in the country, but you'd be... You know, I can see things that have changed in this country in the last few years, like, you know, rubbish for one. I see it all over the road. Mm. You know, chips places. Definitely now in the last few weeks, you'll see it flipping fit everywhere. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and you know, uh, I say up in the hill there, you know, if you go fighting through the the, 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 the rubbish that be chipped up there, it'll be all foreign kind of, food, wrappers and all the rest of it like, you know what I mean? And You know, that would get me going now. Like, I wouldn't like that, right? Because mm. the environment is huge for me, right? I'd hate to see that go, that kind of carry-on going on. Now, pulled into Nina the other day coming out of the street, the first eight or ten people I saw were all foreigners, you know what I mean? Like, look, at, if they're working and all the rest of it, that's fine, but like, Jesus, do we need to have bunches of them standing in the corners of the streets not working? Do you know, uh, like, I don't know, where's it going to stop, like? 
It's like we, we well, you see, up, I don't know we who, opened up the floodgates for right, everyone to come but into but the who, country. Who are the, you see, who are the people you saw standing around? I mean, are, are they asylum seekers? Are they? they would, a lot of them would be. And well, I'd well, say a see, lot they, of them... They did, can't did, work here, you see, so... Yeah, well, you know what? I'd say a lot of them now didn't look to me like they were starving either or they didn't look to me like but they were running why, from... Why should they be starving, Willie? I mean, why... Well, uh, look, at, uh, what's the story in this country? Are we going to let everyone come in to say, oh, geez, Ireland's a grand place to come into to work. We'll get uh, medical cards, we'll get this, we'll get that, like the Ukrainians are getting look at. Well, all I'm saying is this. Well, the Ukrainians are ro- the U- Ukrainians are, are moving away from a situation where their lives are in peril and they're... In part of in part of Ukraine. Listen, friend, there's war in Ukraine for the last so many years, like, in part of Ukraine, there's wars, the war is going on, but most of Ukraine, there's no war going on. The, the life is continuing as normal. Do you know what I mean? Uh, look, at, I'm not getting into that. All I'm saying, for, I'm talking about Ireland. Mm. I'm saying, where do we stop? Where do we stop? We sell our nationality. The Chinese, if they want to, if they give, I don't know how many thousand, they can get a pa- an Irish passport. Mm. Jesus, like, wh- wh- where's the sense in that? Like, we don't know anything about the Chinese that are buying these passports. They could be the biggest criminals in the world. Like, you know, you know nothing about them if they have the money, they can do it. But but go 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 back to who you saw in in Indina. I mean, is it a case that if we bring people in to look after them, you would like them to be in a situation that they look starving or something? Yes. No, cop on now, friend. All I'm saying to you is this: a lot of people are coming to Ireland that are coming in. They've got to hear that Ireland is an easy spot, an easy place to 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 get looked after. Do you know, that's my point. A lot of more economic migrants, if you like, they're not leaving places that they're starving. They're not leaving places that they're getting a gun put to their head. Well, you, they're you, saying, but, but, this, we'll with, go over with, there, it's a better place. But with respect, Willie, you don't know that. You don't know their story. You have no idea about well, what they've come from. A lot of them, uh, uh, listen... But have, have you spoken to them, Willie? Have you conversed <sighs> with them? No, I haven't, Fran. No, actually, I'm working and I don't have time to, try to converse. Right. But all I'm saying to you is if you've got a bunch of people coming into the country, Fran, they're standing, standing around corners of, of the town, yes. what does it look like? Well, like, you, you, you tell know, me, what, like what does it look like? Well, I'll put it like this to you, Fran. You go to the, to, to the, to the number of, of women that have been killed, raped, attacked in the last year, two years, three years. How many of them have been killed and attacked and raped by foreign nationals. I, I have no idea, and neither well, have you. Well, actually, actually, neither have you. Me. Actually, I do. Well, give me the well, figures. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you had a girl in Cork going to school. Right, at school, right. But, right? but do you know what I mean? You You're after girl, saying... You, you had the woman... No, Willie, Willie, I have to stop you for... No, you stop me, friend, because you're afraid I'm going to say something that you don't like, and I can say what I like. No, you can, but as well as that, I have to counter what you're saying with facts. Yeah, because you lose your job, but my fact is this, friend, I can tell you that the story is you go check out how many people, how many girls right, were but, attacked but you, and killed by, you, by foreigners you in the don't, last But you years. don't know that that is the fact. Well, I'll you? tell you, there's a lot of them. Right. I tell you, there's a lot of... Right, so now, now immediately you're watering down what you're saying. Well, you're, you're, saying you're, you're telling me I'm watering down. I'm giving you a fact if you listen to me. Right. You had a woman, you had a woman there... Right. Well, I, 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 can't, there, I, can't, uh, I can't have you go into the exact details, as you oh, know, can, because we're you broadcasting. Can down, you can tell me I'm watering down, though, but you, can't you? But, you, but go back on what you said to me, which is that all of the people who have been raped and murdered in the last one are... It's, I didn't say it's all. Been I did I say all. Right, so how I many are you saying, then? 
I'm saying quite a few, a lot of people that have been attacked. But, but you, you're the watering last down few, what you're saying. Well, you're telling me I'm watering down. I, if you want me to name the incidents I name, but you don't want me to name the incidents. No, I don't want you to name the incidents. Well, there you go, sure. You're watering down as well, Fran. No, but you see, the only thing I'm fearful about something like this, Willie, and I mean, look, we're having a calm conversation here now. But well, what I'm, I'm fearful Fran. is that once you put out stories like that, it grabs legs and people say, oh, I heard Willie say on the radio that all all the rapes and murders are perpetrated by, by foreign nationals. That's fine, that's fine. So in other words, you have one side that can say everything and you have another side that if they disagree at all, oh, you have to water down what you're saying. You can't say this, you can't say that. No, but I mean, well, look, we're, we're having a conversation and it's my yeah. it's my job to, you know, provide an alternative to what you're saying and also to question what you're saying. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, Fran, if you check... Will you do this for me, so, Fran? Mm-hmm. Will you check the amount of fatally of women that have been attacked, raped or killed in the last, we'll say, two years, 24 okay. months, mm-hmm. and give me a percentage tomorrow of the amount of them that were killed, attacked or raped by foreign okay. well, we'll, we'll have a me? We'll have a look at those numbers. I'm not sure how... If we can get an accurate number on that, well, I certainly Actually, have a look Fran, at it. I'm just, Fran, you've been an intelligent man. I'm sure you'll be able to find it well, out. Well, we certainly would have a look at it and we'll see, well, see what happens fine. where that is and concerned. Come back, and come back tomorrow and give a statement on that, though, Fran. And, Willie, can I ask you something? Yeah, ask me away. Do you, do you, how would you feel about the travelling community, for example? Solid finest. They're our own. Right. You have no Solid problem finest. with that. No, look, if they came into my place and started shooting hares or, or, or running orchards around the place, I'd take out my 22 and I'd give them a shot up the arse, right? Mm. But other than that, no problem. Well, if he, and if you did that, you'd end up in prison, you know. Ah, sure, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Oh, you, oh you well, again... <laughs> I've only he... taken the mic here, friend. Listen, what I'm doing, saying to you is this, friend, right? No problem with decent, honest people working and with decent people coming in that are, are, are in a war-torn country. But if you people coming in you have people coming in will say from parts of Africa that aren't hungry, that aren't un- un- but, under a war threat. But Willie, right? you don't know that. You haven't spoken to them. Well, what are they going to tell me, Fran? Well, they're going to te- are they going to tell me, But Fran, you're making up. You're right? making up what it is they're going I'm to tell you. I'm not making it up, Fran. I'm not making it up. I'm telling you the facts. The facts are there's a lot of people coming into this country that need to be coming in. Right. right? And we are kind of an open door. Let them in. Let them in. You've got flipping... The, the politicians there now, let him in. Uh, you know what I mean? Where is it going to stop? Mm. Or oh, we need him because the, the population is aging. Jesus Christ, we're like, where is it going to stop? Isn't the population oh, going I, to I be aging? I never, I never heard anybody make that argument. Of course they made the argument. We need the workforce because the pensions won't be there. We mm. won't be able to provide for the old people. Yeah. That's, the, that's the point that we're making all along. We're able to provide for the people when we need to. Yeah. Were we able to find housing for sixty-two thousand people extra than when we didn't that we didn't have twelve months ago? Do you know what I mean? You, you were looking for you, you were looking for some figures there, and Andrew was kind enough to do some some research for me there while you were chatting to me. But seemingly right. one in four women in Ireland who have been in a relationship have been abused by a current or former partner, and the vast majority is Irish men. That's vast according to is Irish men. Yeah. That's from what the CSO. That's from the CSO figures that's out there, Willie. Okay, that's fine. And how, ask Andrew now, because he seems to be a very intelligent chap. Ask Andrew to go back and find the amount of women that were killed by knives or killed, killed and murdered in the last two years. Ask how many right, of them but, were but, but there you go. I mean, I, do, you, do you take that figure that from the CSO, from the Central Statistics Office there, that the yeah. vast majority of violence perpetrated on women is by Irish men? 
by God. I said, well, look, hey, listen, we have enough. Hey, Fran, you needn't tell me we've we'd enough bastards in our own in our own, in our own country, not 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 yeah, to be looking yeah. in foreign, but, but, foreign ones. That's the truth. That is the truth. All right, Willie. Yeah. Really good to talk to you, Willie. Well, man, Fran, have that figure for me tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs> Good luck. Bye-bye. That's Willie speaking to us today. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, you're very welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Big reaction to uh, Willie on the show today, and I'll bring you some of that in just uh, a little while. But he was looking for some stats, and uh, Ali had a look at this for me, and uh, seemingly 249 women have died violently between uh, 1996 and uh, 2022. 18 children have died alongside their mothers. 158 women have been killed in their own homes. That's 63%. 196 cases have been resolved. 87% of women where the case has been resolved were killed by a man known to them. And 13% of women were killed by a stranger. So that's just some of what is uh, available. And another interesting one is that one in five people who were killed uh, in the state happens to um, be a foreign national. So that's some stats that Willie was uh, calling for there uh, earlier on. 0833113311 Now on to something completely different. If you're looking for love but you're plagued by a promiscuous past, well fear not because having multiple sexual partners it does not affect your marriage chances in the long term. And that's according to a new study. Now, they discovered that the recent number of sex partners was associated with a reduction in the odds of marriage. But this effect only lasted a year, suggesting a link is temporary. Well, Dr. Caroline West is a sex educator and host of the Glow West podcast. And she joins me now. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today. What, what do you make of that? Is that is that surprising to you? The result of that study? Uh, n- no, I suppose. Um, I do take issue with the term promiscuous. I mean, that sounds so old-fashioned doesn't now. It just, like, yeah. it's it's you know, it doesn't mean anything if we have sex with other people outside of marriage. You know, we used to really shame people for that. I mean, we used to lock women up in magazine laundries for mm-hmm. that, or you know, make them to leave the country. So now, thankfully, we've moved on a lot. But um, yeah, I think you know, there's nothing wrong with trying and, and exploring your sexuality if you decide to get married. You know, and uh, like lots of people are choosing not to get married these days. So it is. I think it's. it's you know, it's important to have a healthy view of sex and sexuality. So that shame and stigma and especially, you know, the shame that that's 
thrown onto women's sexuality, it's just so limiting, you know? It's like, what, what says that you're not a good fit for marriage just because you've happened to have sex with other people? Like, it, it shouldn't be a big deal. So I'm kind of glad mm. to see that the survey says that, you know... It's interesting, it's but the, the study, the language, by the way, wasn't mine. It was from the study. Oh, no, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> because they refer to promiscuity, for example, and uh, being promiscuous in the study itself. So you're, you're saying that's sort of dated language and we need to be careful of that, is that Yeah, it? like, and I mean, what does it even mean? For some people, being promiscuous might be any sex outside yes, of marriage. Of course, and yeah. Some people might be 100 people. And for some, that might be a completely normal number. So it really kind of depends on the person. So all that you need for going into a marriage is like a healthy relationship between the two of you. So your past shouldn't matter. And we have the terms like your body counts now, you know, of like mm. how many people you've slept with. And it doesn't matter. And it's no one else's business. And you don't even have to share that with, with your partner going forward if you don't want to. So healthy relationships are not about judging each other for what we've done with other people. I mean, we don't judge other people for going out on a meal with, with other people, you know. So when we share our bodies with other people, there shouldn't be that same kind of yeah, judgment but there. Is, is there still not a little of that old stuff that, you know, heterosexual women would have been stigmatised for having casual sex, whereas a, a guy, um, if he had lots of uh, sexual encounters, he'd be sort of held up as something to be reckoned with, you know? Absolutely. He'd be called a legend Wouldn't and a yeah. stud and yeah. all this thing and women were called sluts. And yeah. I think we do still see it a little bit. Like, look at Taylor Swift, you know, and yeah, she had like, sure. what, four or five relationships and people made her into a running joke. Yeah. And it's like, she's a woman in her 20s. Like, that's not that much. But even if it was, it's still no one else's business about this. And of course, men don't get judged the same way. You know, they're viewed as legend and the women that they, they sleep with are called groupies and all this kind of thing. So it's just kind of projecting a lot of fear and anxiety around sex on, onto these other people. And is that still it. alive and well, Caroline? I think it is, yeah. I think is we it? still see it. But what we see now as well is, you know, it's in the form of things like digital sexuality, so sharing nudes and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, if a woman's nudes are leaked, it's like, well, what did you expect? You should have closed your legs, things like this. So it is very gendered going forward. Um, and we're seeing that a lot now, the rise of, of things like having your nudes leaked, even though there is there is a law against it now and it is thankfully illegal. Um, but there is still that idea of shame and like women shouldn't do this. But then on the flip side of things, a lot of Gen Z, they're actually having less sex than other generations. Now, part of that is the housing crisis. I mean, where do you go if you know, sure, you're still yeah, stuck at home, yeah. unfortunately? But they're kind of realising, you know, like casual sex maybe is not as cracked up to be sometimes because, you know, both people are a bit too drunk. It's not going to be the most wild experience yeah. of your life. You might you might be better waiting until the morning and having a few chips, you know, first of all, sure, um, yeah. going forward. But I think that, you know, it's, it's, I, I think it all comes down to your attitude to sex. So a sex positive attitude just means, you know, you don't even have to have sex to be sex positive. It just means you're not judging other people and you, ha- you view sex as a healthy, normal, everyday part of life. And you're not going to judge other people for how they choose to enjoy their bodies or their gender or their sexual orientation, things like that. So you don't have to, you can be celibate if you want to, you can have lots of partners if you want to. You know, the idea is that once you are embracing that sexual wellness, you'll get your sexual health checked up, you're not judging other people, and you're you're working on your emotional maturity so you can be the best version of yourself in relationships and that's what it's really about so you know in terms like promiscuous again it's it's always you know labeled um 
opened up the label for women. So it's about time, I think, we move forward and just said, you know, once people are happy, they're safe, they're, they're having safer sex and they're not hurting other people, what's the big deal, you know? Is, is there a big deal made, though, of one sexual partner being more experienced, if you know what I mean, Caroline, that it's, uh, you know, and what they bring to the relationship then and it can make the other partner maybe feel a little insecure or is yeah, perhaps- is that an element? Yeah, I think I think we see that still, you know, and again, because like sex is something that, you know, we don't talk about as openly, you know, most of the time. So mm. people have a lot of anxiety and fear about it. Like it's kind of like driving, you know, if, if you didn't know how to drive and I plunked you in a car and said, off you go on to the M50 there, that's probably going to be very anxiety provoking. So we talk about it and we, we're open about things, you know, about things like driving. So it brings the stress and shame and stigma out of it. Like we don't judge learner drivers. We're compassionate towards them. So it should be the same when it comes to sex and relationships. You don't magically hit the age of consent and then know everything there is to know about sex and you're expected to be perfect at it. So I think if we take that approach of going, okay, you've had more experience, what can we learn from that? And maybe that person has learned this is how I like to be touched or this is what I like doing and this is not what I like doing. And some people like to explore that together and haven't had any previous sexual partners. And some people appreciate, you know, a more helping hand from someone who is more experienced. So once we're open about that and, you know, we're not judging other people. We're not judging people if they've gone to the cinema before, you know, and seen 20 movies and mm. then they're going to see a new film with us. So if we can apply that to, to sex... I think that's really healthy as well. So some people like the more experienced and some people like to experience together. Once you're open and you communicate that, then there shouldn't be a problem. What about the role of pornography here, Caroline, and unreal expectations of what sex is? Um, Is that an issue? Yeah, I think it can be. I mean, some porn is great and some porn is absolutely awful and, and just not good at all so it's a real mixed bag and stuff but unfortunately a lot of younger people they're not getting the sex education they want so where are they turning to they're turning to porn and a lot of the free porn tube sites are you know they're not great they can be quite violent they can be very misogynistic um and they also have good stuff on but that's kind of hidden you know amongst all this kind of more negative kind of very misogynistic kind of stuff so if someone is just taking their information from that and thinks oh this is what you do well then that's not healthy so that's why we need to have good sex education that does look at porn and goes you know this isn't realistic this is not real life behavior and have consent workshops and have decent sex education so thankfully i think it's from next year that the sex education curriculum is updated and will be rolled out then so that young people have a much more better understanding so then you know i think internationally the impact of porn has been mitigated by good sex education so people can look at it and go well, that's one type of sex, but that's not how all sex has to be done and should be done. So I think that's really good. So mm-hmm. the more open we are and talking about that, the better. Because, you know, if you're 14, 15, 16 and you're looking for information, you know, where are you going to go? And it's not fair that we just leave young people to try figure this out by themselves because that's where porn comes in. And that's not that's a interesting. Situation. And were you surprised that that became so controversial, Caroline? You know, particularly when they will be discussing or indeed examining pornography in some way as part of that, um, uh, those modules. Does it, did that surprise you? Uh, I think how it was 
um, I suppose discussed in the media so I remember there is one headline and it was pornography will be taught know, in the classroom yeah, yeah. and it's like we're not really unfortunate wheeling. wasn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah like the teacher's hardly wheeling in a TV and saying like we're now we're going to watch porn yes. I think yeah. they'd probably be fired for, for mm. doing that so it just means you're acknowledging it you know and kind of saying like when we talk about it and it's not going to be talked about like hey kids you should all go off and watch porn it's talking about it in the way to go this isn't realistic you know and let's talk about consent and let's talk about what healthy relationships and how we interact with other people and that's that's all you need sometimes you know to kind of offset that kind of message so I think a lot of people we've come such a long way in a few years you know I think before people maybe wouldn't have appreciated that at all but I think now people are realizing okay what how do I help my kids you know, and how do we build a better society and how do we minimise violence against women? And this is one way of doing it. So I think, you know, various high profile cases and stuff like that have really kind of pushed the country on to understand, you know, better better about like sexual violence, misogyny. You know, you just had that statistics on about the, the amount of women murdered yeah. by men as well. You know, all these things we have to, we, we are finally reckoning with as a country. But it's it's slow sometimes too. But I think this is just one facet of that conversation that needs to happen. I was when I knew we were going to chat. I was just looking up some various bits and pieces. Uh, one thing was a whole list of why men uh, remain single and uh, and stuff. And it's kind of interesting to read down through the list. But I'm just wondering what it is that makes us attracted to certain people. Is that something that sort of almost prehistoric in our minds that we're looking for something even in an unconscious way I mean yeah I mean it could be you know it's really hard to measure something like that I think what we don't don't kind of take into account a lot of the time is things like trauma and intergenerational trauma especially so you know if, if we have experienced trauma in childhood or trauma as an adult that can impact our feelings of self-worth or our inability to recognize boundaries and what a healthy relationship is so that you know you're more vulnerable to maybe people that would take advantage of that vulnerability and be abusive um and sometimes it is generational you know when when i worked in refuges we'd often have the children of women who'd already been in the refuge come in through as as you know young 18 year olds who are in abusive relationships so you know these things really can be intergenerational and trauma is carried in the body so i think it's really important you know again we are finally recognizing that in the country you know and, and we're looking at how trauma can be poverty or um poverty can be trauma and intergenerational as well so i think we're, we're on the cusp of like really moving forward as a society and understanding these things but if, if we empower young people with the knowledge of what healthy relationships look like i think we, we give them a much better chance um and I think this comes from Hollywood and stuff as well. Mm. You know, like old school cowboy films, you, you got the girl and she didn't want to kiss you, but you kissed her. And then she decided she liked it. You know, so all the idea of like men are the aggressor and um, women have to be won around or, you know, they're, they're you have to kind of force them into it and then they like it. So all those messages don't come just from porn. They come from everywhere in our society. Oh, that's so, very interesting. Yeah, and, and when yeah. I think about that, that that's always been the way it was portrayed in movies and books and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the fairy tale princess who had yeah. to be rescued by the man in the tower and things like this. So, like, women weren't seen as being very passive. And, like, we see that in porn now where it's like, you know, it, it, it's that kind of... Do- domination in some way, yeah. 
Yeah, and like consenting adults, happy days, that's fine. But when that's presented as like the norm and it's just like, you know, presented in without that understanding of, of consent and, and nuance and stuff. I mean, mm. when you're 14 years old, that's really hard to kind of unpack all those messages. So, you know, I think there, there's a lot of work to do for young people and for ourselves to kind of unpack, well, where did I learn about sex? And where did I learn what a woman's role is and what a man's role is? And, um, you know, what does that mean? So it's... You know, they're historic, and especially in Ireland, they haven't been exactly positive over over the decades, unfortunately. Yeah, and God knows we're still hearing about it as well. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering, to go back to where we started as well, about the multiple sexual partners, is there ever a situation, do you think, where you can actually have too many partners and it affects your whole view of sexuality, I suppose, in some way? That uh, <laughs> is that ever a case, do you think? I think it's if you're having sex for, I'll put the words, the wrong reasons in inverted commas there of like sex that isn't really satisfying to you. So sometimes we have sex because we're really horny or sometimes we have it because we're really emotional. Like food, you know, we comfort eat sometimes and we eat because we're bored and we're not really hungry. And so we do the same with sex as well. So sometimes maybe instead of, um, you know, having sex with someone, maybe all we just wanted was a cuddle or to be reassured or to have an emotional boost. But like it's almost viewed as weird if you went up to someone in a nightclub and said, let's go home and have sex. If you went up to someone and said, let's go home and just cuddle and I want—I just want to be hugged and have my hair stroked, that's kind of almost viewed as weird. Like, that's an odd thing to ask. But, like, maybe that's what we need sometimes. So, you know, and, and again, previous trauma might make us, you know, feel like, okay, I have to, you know, do this to, you know, reclaim my worth and things like this. So there's lots of reasons why we have sex outside of because we're really horny and because we really want to, mm. you know, embrace our bodies and, and things like this. So once we kind of start that work on our on ourselves and heal and understand what sex means to us, then I think we start having the, the kind of sex and intimacy that works for us. And maybe that's sex with lots of people, maybe it's sex with no people or whatever it is. So I, th- I think, you know, it's it just embracing that sexual wellness and realising it's so connected to our mental health as well. Um so again, again, you know, it's, it, there's no number that's a magic number, you know, but it's just whatever works for yourself and knowing you're having sex for the reasons that you want to have sex. Caroline, it was most interesting to talk to you today and thanks so much for making time for us. Thank you. No worries. Thank, Thank you. you so much Good for Good morning to me. you. That's uh, Dr. Caroline West there, sex educator and host of the Glow West podcast. If you want to have a listen there, it's an extremely interesting uh, series of podcasts. 1800 27 past 10 back in a moment Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecone Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer Slattery's Garage Pecone the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Now we're continuing with our conversation on that study telling us that having multiple sexual partners does not affect your marriage chances in the long term. I'm delighted to be joined by a regular contributor to our show. Hel- Helen England is with me. Helen, good morning to you. 
Good morning, Fran. How are uh, you today? Lovely to hear your voice, Helen. Um, I'm very well. What, what do you make of this, uh, Helen? <laughs> well, I didn't know John Joe McQuaid was writing for the Daily Mail, you know? <laughs> wow, who knew he was back? <laughs> like, I don't want to be glib or don't mean to be glib, but why would it affect marriage? Or your know. possibility of getting married or your likelihood of getting What a load of nonsense. But then... I was reading it, number one, the Daily Mail, so obviously pinch of salt there. Mm-hmm. But then I was looking at who did the research. So it was universities in Utah and Oklahoma. Ah, the Bible Belt of America. Yes. You know, Utah, mm-hmm. the home of the Church of the Latter-day Saints, where they promote purity and one partner for the rest of your the life. Mo- the Mormons, yeah. The Mormons, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So with the go away and wise up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but obviously so, the study didn't come up with what they were looking for by way of an answer because seemingly it doesn't affect marriage chances. Yeah, they, they must be really disappointed. They with must that have one. been, yeah. Yeah, but um, what nonsense! But who? Like I, I did, I kind of read the article a couple of times, thinking, "Am I missing something here?" Mm. You know, but so pure nonsense. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't think "knock yourself out" would be my thoughts on it. <laughs> In, on what you want to do. And Knock who, yourself out. Knock yourself out. Yes. You know, if you want to ride round you, go ahead. As long as consent, consenting adults, and to be honest with you as well, probably regular checks for STIs yes. is a good idea if you want to have a healthy sex life. And it is healthy. Hmm. That's my words. I remember, I'll I, I go a wee bit back a step, okay? As long as you, that previous, your previous, uh, who's an expert, Dr. Caroline, yes. Said, as long as you're having sex for the right reasons. Yes, know, and, and that is the point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, there's nothing wrong with having sex. Mm. It's a very pleasant thing, you know? But You, I you make remember. it sound like an ice cream. <laughs> it's a very I, pleasant thing. I, I could go into many details, <laughs> but it is. You know? Yes. But of course it is. But because yeah. I was thinking, God, I'm going to get shot now and there for saying stuff like right, right, Jay. Mm. But uh, you see, and then I was thinking about Imelda May, okay, the singer. Her yes. mom died last year uh, and she was an older woman and whatever. But I remember Imelda May being interviewed by Tommy Tiernan sometime after. And she said, I wish I knew my mother um, if she hadn't been so influenced by the confines of the church. Mm. Okay. Now, that's not to say you can still have your religion and your spirituality. But isn't it an awful pity that so many people, say, in Ireland were made feel guilty or bad for having more than one partner before they got married, for having any partners before they got married? Especially women, needless to say, Helen, you know? Well, yeah, but who were women having sex with? You know what I mean? But yes, that is the point, that women were made feel the fallen woman, oh, she had to go away into London. And all these horrible things when they did nothing wrong. I have a darling friend and she was born out of marriage, outside of marriage, out of wedlock, years ago, all right? Well, not even that long ago, about 50, 60 years ago. Mm. But she was taken aside by the nuns when she was a child in school and said, you do know that you will amount to nothing because of how you were born. My God. You know, imagine if there hadn't been a blink and people had said, oh, okay, congratulations for having a baby, and that they could just have got on with how different would this country be? Oh, my God, sure. You it know, would be completely different. Yeah, yeah. homes are, the laundry, Magdalene, all gone. A lot of the abuse, gone. Because people were allowed to be normal. Having sex and enjoying sex is a very normal thing. And we should be celebrating. 
the fact that we're able to <laughs> and that we can and we meet these different interests in people and, and we connect on some level, you know? So there's nothing. And anybody sitting there going to text in or picking up the phone and go, oh, you won. You know, she's at it again. I don't care what you think. It is healthier to be thinking, we all enjoy yourself. Right, but the caveat there is so long as it's making you happy and, and and not making you unhappy or, as you say, doing it for the wrong reasons. Oh, yeah, like you... oh, but as long as you don't have guilt yes, because of a man-made rules in a church that was controlled by money, and power and control. Right, but because of trauma as well, Helen, though, you could be no craving bank, something that, that, that that's not yeah. giving you, if you know what uh, I mean. Yes, and people look, some people can equate sex with love. Yes. You know, and we know that. That's very different. But if you're just going out, you fancy someone and good luck to you. You know what I mean? Like, to be honest with you, in your 20s, it should all be about having fun, I think. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and just enjoying your body and not being ashamed. The shame needs to go. I think it is going out of this country and I'm excited to see younger generations who don't have the same hang-ups or guilt mm. that the generations before them did have. But are you concerned, as I am, about the role of pornography in this, Helen, that there's expectations out there, particularly from young men, about women that's completely unrealistic and could result in, in awful stuff going on? What's the awful stuff going on? I think em- emulating, no, I emulating yes, what, I do what agree. they're seeing. Yeah, I do agree with that. And But again, that's where we need these conversations on regular daytime radio and in our homes to say, call this out. Yes. You know, and but you see, all the emphasis before was put on the woman. Don't be shaming yourself. Don't let yourself down. Don't whatever. And yeah. now we know these are the conversations that have to be had with all the men and in absolutely, our lives as well. absolutely. You know, yeah. and that they realise that the likes of porn is not even close to real life. Yeah. You know, and you see it as well, though. It kind of comes through in like even stuff like music videos now. These ones gyrating up against each other, and you know, and the lyrics of some songs that are, are, are so misogynistic. Mm, yeah. You know, yeah. and that has to be called out. We've often had conversations in even in regular, you know. God, there was a song out some years back and I was saying to my daughters, like it was, it was basically saying, you know, he's so horrible, uh, I want you to treat me horribly, kind of thing. Good, Not good. words yeah. to that effect. I know, I yeah, to my I know, daughters, yeah. I, and I was saying to them, what do you think of the words of that girl singing? I wish I could remember the song, I'll think of it some mm. other time. And, uh, but to have those conversations in those moments, you know, it was funny on the way in, I was dropping my kids to school this morning, they were like, and what are you talking about in the radio today, mommy? And I was like, sex? I'm like, don't you dare! Don't you dare talk about sex! You know, you're making a show of us. And all of that, yeah. But again, and, and tell me, tell me about that, Helen, if you don't mind. Um, you know, years ago, of course, the whole, everything about sex was under the carpet, and nobody yeah, spoke yeah. about it to children yeah. and stuff. Are you quite open about? Ah, uh, we are, of course, yeah. we are. Very much so, yeah. but not, well, not very much. No, in a healthy way, yeah. yeah. So things are discussed, and uh, you know, if there's something on the news, say, for example, now this didn't come up. But say yesterday the murders in in the US uh, in, in, in the, in the bar, gay nightclub. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's funny. It was a conversation came up myself, my mother. My mother's like, "How can people still have an issue in this day and age?" You know. But yeah. so that kind of stuff would be if my daughters had heard it, we would have had that conversation and about how trans people are being targeted. Da da da. Very much we talk about stuff like that. Mm. You know. But uh, sex isn't like even with stuff like marriage. There's way more to your prospects 
or suitability for marriage goes way beyond sex. You know, there's so much more in a marriage, you know, or... or in in, in terms of the relationship, is it? And what, yeah. what, what makes there's the relationship? Way more, yeah. yeah. Mm. You know, there's a lot more than just the sex side of any relationship, you mm. know? Like, like what, Helen? Well, everything else. Communication, uh, a good sense of humour, feeling, making each other feel good about themselves. You might mm. be very different to your partner, but that's something to be celebrated, not to be focused on and, you know, and all of this other stuff. And, you know, what you want out of life together, if you want a family, you know, or do you want to travel, everything else, you know, what you'd like to achieve in your life career-wise, how would that be supported by your partner and what they want, you know, your values, everything, mm. you know. And and sex is just a part of all of that, is that what well, you're saying? Yeah. Like, I suppose in the earlier days, it's way more of a thing. Mm. And then you have a couple of kids and that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you're like, don't even look at me. I'm pa- so tired. Patrick you know. was onto us. And he's making the point that the Irish are still very prudish about uh, sex. Do you, do you go along with that? Well, like I said, I think we are getting much better. And it's our younger generations that are teaching us how to lighten up, drop the guilt. And all of that. And then, like I said, enjoy our bodies and don't feel that we have to, you know, conform with anything like the teachings that were there before of the likes of John Charles McQuaid and his best friend, um, De Valera, mm. in controlling women. I often, I've said it before in this on your show, there was that great woman in Kerry that said, at one stage, greyhounds had more rights than women in this country. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've talked about that one to my daughters, yeah. you know, and that is the way. So women should not feel the guilt Sure, men, but it was a lot of the focus was put on women. And in that article um, that you're talking about, it says, although heterosexual women have historically been stigmatized for having casual sex, mm. our analysis suggests that this does not manifest itself in long-term singleness. Right. <laughs> yeah, but... Disgusting and, and, and also the, the second line on that is particularly interesting as well. You know that women with multiple sexual partners, that they're just as likely to get married as virgins. Although heterosexual women have a starting So who are heterosexual women having sex with? Men. Exactly. Right. So, But it's put down on the woman, historically being stigmatised, you know? Yeah. Okay. But sure, hasn't that always been the way? The always. woman the woman is a slut and the, the guy is the stud, you know? Oh, yeah. And he gets away with it. Yeah. You know, oh, she had to go to London or she was sent off to her home. Well, what, what happened to the guy that, you know, she was with? Nothing. Yeah. You know, but isn't that what happened with the Magdalene Laundries as well? The guys 100%. got off scot free, you know. And that poor girl up in Granard. Oh my God! Yes, yeah, I do. You know, I do in the grotto. Yeah. No, yeah, in the grotto. Like God, like that's what happens. This is what upsets all of us. Mm. Is that was the teachings of something that has nothing got to do with God? It's just rules that were put in by a church that wanted to control. You know, that's nothing to do with God. He used religion to. Um, you know, to, well, it was about control, wasn't it? Yeah, power, money, yeah. control. When you think back to the biggest reactions, say, for example, and I'm not church bashing. Well, I am a bit, but it's not about God and Catholicism or Christianity. It's not that. It's these guys that decided they were the bosses. And like when you look at it, Eamon Casey was fecked out, okay, and whatever, because he had had a child outside of marriage, da da da, with Annie Murphy, whatever. But the biggest crime Casey committed as far as the church were concerned, was he used parish funds. Like there's Brendan, what do you call him, that animal. Smith. Uh, 
um, yes, mm. he wasn't even removed from the church mm. because it wasn't money. It was only, in inverted commas, children. It was the money that pushed him, that made the ostracized, ostracized um, Casey about, you know? So it's money, control, power. And that's what was done in this country for a very mm. long and time. And we still have residue of that, Helen? I was just about to say that, and it's still there. And for a lot of people, it's yeah. still there. Even as I'm 48 next week, even for me sometimes, there's Catholic guilt there. I wish I was doing stuff to have guilt about, to be honest, <laughs> you know? But I, is there? You still have that somewhere. You have to fight that off, do you? Don't we? You'd always feel like if you did eat meat on a Friday, you'd be like, oh, I eat meat. You know, I shouldn't yeah. have. Yeah. There's always a wee bit of that there. Or, you know, and, um, but again, this is God's teaching. God didn't say it. It was rules of a church, you know? Man-made. Man-made. Like nylon. Both are annoying, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Helen, it's always a delight. Thank you so much. Brad, Thank you. So much. Thank Take you. Care. Good morning Bye. to you. That's Helen England speaking to us today. How do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. TIP FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. The Chief Medical Officer has urged parents not to ask grandparents or older people to look after children with respiratory illnesses due to a record number of reported cases of respiratory syncytial virus, that's RSV, and uh, almost 650 cases of RSV were reported in Ireland in the past week. The highest number ever recorded in this country. Now, the majority of cases seemingly occurring in small children and older people, while flu cases are also on the rise. Jodie joins me now. Jodie, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Jodie. Lovely to talk to you uh, again. You're taking issue with the Chief Medical Officer here and that advice, Jodie. Why so? Well, because, Fran, uh, at the minute I'm down in Cork looking after my little grandson and the Chief Medical Officer, fine, she might come up with this idea and whatever, but Fran, not every family is in the position that they can afford not to have their you know, their grandmother, uh, you know, or granny or nana, as I'm called and whatever, to look after their children for them and whatever, you know. And I mean, I love to do it because I have quality time with my grandchildren and which is fantastic. And as well as that, I kind of think, I'm sorry now to say, but the HSE kind of speak out both sides of their mouths, you know, and whatever. Right, because you in know, the real world, you're saying, Jodie. Yeah, in the real world. The... Absolutely, fun. In the real world, and with the cost of living now and the cost of, you know, childminders and creches and all the different things and whatever, you know, they're, they're, their backs are against the wall, really, because if you have a child in a creche and the child comes down sick, the parent has to take time off work. And it's not always, 
always uh, yeah. feasible or it's not they may not be able all the time to take you know the time of work you know and, and whatever and if I can be just devil's advocate on mm-hmm. this for a moment to Jody, I mean the the danger I suppose is that kids you know could pick up this and they mightn't suffer in any way themselves but they could easily bring it home to the grandparent and God knows you've been through the wars with your health do you have <laughs> yes. do you have any fears about that Jody? no no I don't friend because I spoke to my own little grandchild already had it and was in hospital with it. She's two years of age and whatever. And um, she, you know, she was quite sick now, I have to say. She mm. was quite sick, but, you know, they let her home that evening and whatever. But um, at, look, at, I know I've been quite ill and whatever, and I've been through the wars and, and all of that. But my, I would think, you know, that I spoke to my chemist, uh, my pharmacist in, in Curlis, and mm. I said it to him, and he said, look at Josephine, it's in the air. You yes. know, this is in the air. You know, you might pick, you might pick it up. You, you might, you know, try not to, to, to go near the house and whatever. But he said, in the air, and children going to creches and going to child managers and whatever are going to spread it. And now if I, I would say, Fran, if I was very bad chest-wise, if I had, you know, if I had COPD yes. or if yeah. I had a, a, a bad chest or things like that, I, yes, I would probably would be a little bit weary of it and whatever. But at the end of the day, look at the, the, all our children are very precious to us and all our grandchildren are especially precious mm. to mm. us. They are just a gift from God. And, and, and these whatever. are special years as well, Jody. Yes, I mean, look at what we lost, I suppose, during COVID in terms of interacting with grandchildren oh and children and all of that. Yeah, Absolutely. That, that My little grandchild uh, that uh, ended up in hospital... She was a COVID baby, so we didn't get to spend time with her for the first year of her life. Like, I mean, you know, she was born June. Good, yes. They could come up. So that really, I oh my god, that really played an awful lot on my mind because I said, oh goodness, because we spent so much time with the others, you know. And, of course. And and we didn't with 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 little Jojo. But what what was it like when you when that. you got to see her for the first time? Oh my god. And I'm going to cry now. Yeah, yeah. It was it was very emotional. Was but it? look, at, as I say to everybody, you know, years ago people were going on about the grandchildren, grandchildren, and I said, oh God, sake, would they ever, you know, pipe down? You know, not until you have that grandchild in your arms for the first time, you look down at this precious little. You say to yourself, oh my God, this is so. And I mean, I used to always say to my own mother years ago. And why are, you know, you've more love for your grandchildren than you have yes. And she said, you know, she said, you will see when it comes to you, it's a different sort of love. It's Isn't just, that incredible? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And is you it know, a different, How? what is it like, Jodie? It's, it's, uh, it's just, um, you know, when I was ill there in 2016 and my first grandchild was born in 2017, I keep saying to my kids, and you know, they said to me, Mum, don't say that. She was my reason for living because she brought life back into me. Wow. That I was so, you know, I had been through absolutely, as you know, the mill. I know, and it was touch and go for you. At oh, three times, three, yeah, three different yeah. times. Yeah. But look at when I she when I put when I was there in the labour ward just after she was born. I arrived in and just to hold her, it was just 
unbelievably fun. It was, you know, it's just something else. And you know, uh, would you go so far as to say that it spurned you on to get well, Jodie? <laughs> it did, absolutely. Yes. Oh, absolutely. oh, without a doubt, friend. Without a doubt, it just perked me up and it gave me a new, a new, re- a new pep in my life. You know, that kind of new pep my step and, you know, come on and stuff inside yourself. Come on, you'll be fine. And, you know, you, this little, little wee woman now is, needs you, you know, and whatever, you know. And everybody... You see, I suppose, when, um, when, my, when my children were small, my mum was always working. Mm-hmm. So, um, mum couldn't mind the lads that she was working and that was fine and whatever, understood that and whatever. But I kind of said then, when, when I do have grandchildren, whatever, I'm going to give them as much time as I possibly could and whatever. And that's what I try and do now because right. I'm... But it's no load. It's no load to you, Jodie. It's 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 something you love and you enjoy. I love doing it. I do, I do. And we have a new one, a new baby now arriving, please God, the first week in December. Oh, so that could be our six, five alive, and then we lost a little time. So, you know, that's very precious, you know, to have five of them, uh, please God, five of them uh, alive and kicking, that is fantastic. And our baby in heaven, that is, you know, he's all the very, course, very close to my heart, you know, and whatever. But so, I just feel, friend, that, you know, youngsters nowadays are, they're, 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 they're put to the pedal trying to get everything done, trying to pay bills and mm. pay this. And as you know, the cost of living now is just so crazy. Everything has just gone so, so ridic- ridiculous. Like, I mean, I know we have to look after our elderly and that's very good and whatever. But, you know, the HSC, you know, they should come up with more beds for hospitals and, you know, and, and, and try and, I mean, wasting, I, I, this sounds terrible and I don't mean to sound terrible, but two billion on a, a hospital in, in um, Dublin, like, mm. and it's still in, ongoing. In, in the wrong place, uh, as most people would, would believe, yeah. Absolutely, fan like, I mean, they should have put a middle, of, yeah. you know, middle way between so that everybody can... Yeah, instead it's, it's, it's in a traffic uh, jam and bottleneck oh, and stuff at the absolutely, moment, you know it is. Absolutely. Jody, it's always lovely to talk to you and I'm delighted you're enjoying your, your grandchildren so, <laughs> so so much. So you're going to ignore the Chief Medical Officer anyway, Jody. Well, that's I, it. Well, I, well, personally I am because for simple reason I'm just, look, at if as my motto in life is get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. Like, I mean, I won't be put myself out there to, to get it but at the same time, I will be conscious, you know, and whatever. But I just, my, my heart goes out to all the younger generation that out there nowadays trying to raise children and to pay for everything and, and get everything done. And it's lovely as well for us as being grandparents to be able to give our time to our grandchildren, which is just precious. Oh. You'll never get those memories back again. You'll never get that time back again. And they grow so fast. I mean... Well. Yeah, that... Our oldest one now is five and started school, like, you know, and, and it's a step away each time. So, you oh, know, it, all of it, those it, I, I, You know, I try to explain that to, to uh, new parents. The years yeah. will just fly by, Jodie. Oh, my God. Jodie, it's lovely to talk to you today, as yes. always. And you, you enjoy your grandchildren and take good I, care of yourself, won't you? I will. Mind right. yourself. Bye-bye, bye Jodie. Thanks bye-bye. very much indeed. That's uh, Jodie. Speaking of us from Cork today, but, of course, a, a fine Tipperary woman. All right, news and information's on the way. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Reaction to Willie, who spoke to us uh, earlier on. We were having a conversation about racism. Uh, listeners says, by coincidence, Coronation Street at the moment, they're running a storyline on racism, and that comes in from uh, Mike. Fran, in my opinion, Willie is talking through his hat. Live and let live, says Fiona. Uh, listener describing themselves as anonymous, uh, says, I completely agree with Willie, and uh, we should look after our own people first. James says, well said, Willie, and that's the view of anybody I meet in houses all round Tipperary. So you'd wonder what James is doing that has him in houses all round Tipperary. May was on to say, Willie spoke for most of us. And a uh, nice text of congratulations in for me in describing Willie as something unfortunate. So I'll leave that, leave that to one side. Um, OK, and the majority of people, I have to say, from what I'm reading here, agreeing with what Willie had to say this morning. So make what you will of that. All right, it's time for this. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Tip FM's Match 3 game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and expert electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie. All right, let's go to the phone lines and Catherine is with me. Catherine, good morning to you. Hello, Fran. How are you? I'm very well, Catherine. And yourself? Very good, thank God. Excellent. Well, I hope all is well with you. Feeling lucky today, Catherine? Yes. <laughs> Excellent stuff. I love a bit of confidence like that. You can't beat it. You know the story. Um, uh, we'll give you a chance to pick uh, some numbers between 1 and 90. If the prize is already gone when we open the box, Catherine, I'll give you another shot. And if at that stage that prize is gone, I have to say goodbye. Is that okay to, oh, with you? Oh, that's fine, friend. That's All right. fine. Okay, so give me a number. The number, first number, number three. Number three. Let's open the box and see what happens. All right, I'm having a look into this box. It's a Remington Heritage Foil Shaver. It's valued at just under €130, Euro, Catherine. Yes. Give me another number. Uh, 17. Let's go with 17. We open the box. Catherine, I'm afraid that number is gone. That number is gone, so we do have to say uh, goodbye to you where that is concerned. Commiseration. Will you pick a third one so you might be able to help somebody out? Uh, Number 30. Number 30. Let's see what the story is with number 30. Number 30 is the Morphe Richards bagless vacuum cleaner to the value of just uh, under €100. So I'm sure that will be of help to people out there. Do you want to say hello to anybody, Catherine? I'll just say hello to my husband Oliver he's in the kitchen there uh, listening to the radio Very and my two daughters Kay and Maria 
families. All right. Do play again, Catherine, won't you? Friend, lovely, all right. to talk to you. lovely to talk to you too. My best to Oliver as well. Thank you very much, Leah. That's Catherine having a shot at match three uh, today. You can do so right throughout the day here. And of course, we'll have it for you tomorrow as well. Tip FM's match three game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurles. Shop online at stakelum.ie. Match three, win the prize. Tip FM. Now, of course, we're on air with you with uh, Tip uh, today, every single weekday morning, and Monday through Friday at 9 o'clock. And Anne-Marie spoke to me this morning between 9 and 10. She told us about her experience with uh, dealing with racist abuse directed at her son. Now, it was very harrowing and very, very difficult indeed what they went through. Here's just a little of what she had to say after 9 this morning. It's just people are too scared to stand up and speak out. But I got past all that of being afraid of people and standing up because I had to stand up for my son. But there was files, guards were involved, there was files sent to the DTP on numerous occasions. This became a daily occurrence after that for seven and a half years. And every file that was sent to the DPP was returned due to lack of evidence. There was no adult witnesses to any of the assaults. And there was assaults on almost a regular daily basis. How did that uh, affect your son, Anne-Marie? How did it in affect... a big way. It affected his mental health, obviously, in a, in a big way and long term. Obviously, that will stay with him for the rest of his life. But I taught him to be the better person, to stand up. We tried for counselling. We tried for everything. Um, the Gardaí were absolutely fantastic. It never dealt with racism until that moment. But this became an all, almost daily occurrence. We had death threats sent to us by note. We had trocar boxes posted in our door. Uh, please donate to send him home. And oh, my God. A banana, banana thrown at us out of the man's car window. Oh, stop, stop, stop. With his name on it, um, send him home on the banana boat. All the all sorts of stuff. And then it accumulated. It got to the point of my whole front wall of my house spray-painted one night with car spray paint with the N-word and my son's name all over the wall. The guardie came out, the forensics came out. But again... There was no evidence. But this kept happening and happening and happening day in and day out for seven and a half years. It actually almost destroyed myself. Very powerful testimony from uh, Anne-Marie this morning, just after nine. As I say, every weekday, we're with you from nine to uh, 12 Now, yesterday I spoke to my lovely friend, Joe Noble, about Christmas splurging and some of her fond memories of uh, Christmas. A few of our listeners uh, shared their experience with us uh, as uh, children. But Colette sent in a message and I was completely taken with it and I'm delighted to say that she's agreed to chat to me this morning. Colette, good morning to you. Hi, Fran. How are you? And lovely to talk to you today. Colette, you were responding to what Joe said about uh, her mum taking her doll away and giving it to somebody else. And you have a story about your mum. Will you tell us about that? Yeah. No, I'm nervous, Fran. So, oh, um, don't be nervous at oh, all, yeah. Colette. Um, no, I suppose it was, in kind of in our early teenage years, we were told by mum that her cousin had come home from England when she was about 10 or 11. And she got a doll from Santa, mm-hmm. and because my mum was minding it, and my grandmother took it that she didn't want it, so she gave it to the English cousin going home. Now, I don't think my mum ever forgave her. Well, I suppose, look, she did forgive her mother, but she could never talk 
in a civil manner about the cut and having babies with Don. So she was devastated about it, Colette, was she? Absolutely. And to this day, friend, she's 84. And she still talks about the doll. So I say if she got $1,000, it wouldn't have made up for the doll that went out the door. But I think it was the snigger on on my mam's cousin's face um, going out the door kind of hurt her more than the doll being taken. So, My God. Uh, t- uh, tell, yeah. me, tell me the rest of the story, because there's a beautiful finish to the story, isn't there? Right. Mm. Well, Santa's a big thing in our house, friends. Still yeah. to this day, and Dillis was a 60 going down to 42 or 43. Um, and he still comes to all of us. Um, but she used to always talk about the doll, especially around Christmas, I suppose. When we were growing up and then her grandchildren started coming along. Mm. Uh, she'd still mention the doll. Yes. So when she was 75, my brother-in-law arrived home one day with a doll in the back of the car, which wasn't very fitting because he had two sons. <laughs> and when my sister questioned it, he said, that's for Nana. So it was wrapped and sent over, well, it wasn't sent over. David went over with himself and when she was at midnight mass, he went in and put it under the tree from Santa. Oh, my God. And she, I... Look, I, she's guessing who gave it, but no one ever actually said, yeah. And what was her reaction to it, Colette? Ah, she looked friend is probably a place on her locker. Yeah. But then she started, he got her a porcelain doll, but then she started saying, well, my doll had a skirt and jumper. <laughs> 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 but look, at 75, you'll get away with that, you know. <laughs> you will indeed, um, yeah. Of but Irish wasn't that a lovely thing for him to do? Oh, she looked friend. It was brilliant for her, do you know. Yeah. And, yeah, when you go up to her bed, you know, here's the doll, like, pride of place, both on her locker. Um, and I know she's so fond of all her grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and they'd been marrying the doll. But she's a promise to everyone when she draws her last breath. <laughs> but no, it will, go, it will go back to my sister and her husband, so oh, they can decide nice. then what to do with it. But yeah, I suppose... Yeah. It was great for her, you know. But isn't it um, amazing that it remained, what happened about her doll, it remained with her all her yeah. life and she always spoke of it. Yeah, well, it was, at the end of the day, it was her doll. Yeah. And I suppose, look, she's 84 now. And thank God she's hale and hearty, you know. Um, and I suppose they didn't get much back then, friends, you of know. Course, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. so it was an apple or an orange. So to get a doll, it was, that was a huge treat, you know, Christmas morning. Now, I know she was the youngest, so her older brother and sister... Um, would have been bringing money into the house as well. Yeah. But it was her doll, you know, that went to England and, no, she never forgave the cousin's friends so there's no point saying she did, she didn't. No. <laughs> and that <laughs> remained like that right throughout their, their relationship, did it, yeah? Uh, well, we don't ever see her and I think that was always planned because I was, I said she's probably always afraid to say something, you know, so she kept her distance when they'd be home. Because <laughs> there um, might be a row 70 years later or something. Isn't that ab- fabulous? Look, yeah. she probably would have still asked her. No, I suppose to have killed, to have killed her, I suppose, if she heard the doll was gone into the bin or whatever at this stage or given away. I know. Um, but no, she just always well, it's, kept... It's just the picture that you paint of the cousin sniggering at your mum as she yeah. left with her doll, yes. I think that hurt my mum more than the doll actually being taken, you know, as if to say. And look, you can understand the friend, because I suppose if someone takes something and they smirk at you, yeah. yeah but the cousin obviously than... realised, whereas, whereas your your mum's mum didn't probably realise the importance of the doll. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, I think, I think because my grandmother was an absolute pet, and yes. I mean, she used to spoil us at Christmas, you know, my Christmas, as I said, was always a huge thing in our house. Mm. Um, 
you know, because my father used to put up the crib in the local church and he'd take it down and it was eight in our family, so four would be taken to put it up and the other four would be taken to take it down. God. So um, Christmas, as I said, especially the crib, it was huge in our house. Like it started as early December, I suppose, for us because the planning of putting up the crib would be happening. Um, and the parish priest would be in now for our house. So we hear what would be going on in the church and around the area for Christmas. <clears throat> um, and I suppose back then you were supposed to play with the doll. Yeah. Not mind it, do you know? Yeah, so yeah, no, I don't think my grandmother meant any harm by it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. seventy five years later, like it's it still cuts and hurts. This <laughs> is incredible. We have to be yeah. so careful about kids when you think of it. You know the way <laughs> memories can linger, and you know. Well, I know from listening to a friend when my own children came along, mm. I never had a problem. We say with children coming into the house playing with their toys. Mm. But you'll get the odd one that I'll take this away. And I was like, no, you no, won't. No, you won't. I was reared with listening to how horrified my mother was. So, yeah. It's incredible. It you obviously have lovely memories of Christmases, though, with, with the family. Oh, and it was a Frank, special we, time. <clears throat> look, Fran, none of us ever went without a Christmas. And I suppose, as I read there lately, we always got more than what our parents ever had. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, as I said, it was always special. And I suppose... The crib and that, like I love the crib, and we all do. And even before my father died, he was a carpenter. He made um, a crib for every one of our houses. There was eight children, and that's incredible. He yeah, and he finished my youngest daughter's crib a week before he died of cancer. So he was adamant that that crib was going to be finished. And um, so he made them for the grandchildren. And I'm like, did you take pride of place in our homes at Christmas? Do you know, no, you remember them, but you have the peace of them in your home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh yeah, Christmas is big in our house, Ryan. But, yeah. but every time you see the crib, of course, you're you're remembering him, which is which is oh, lovely. Uh, and was uh, he very uh, unwell when he was finishing <laughs> the final one? He was. Um, well, in June they gave him in June of 2007 they gave him three to six months to live, and he lasted three months then a week. Um, but then he had started the crib, and I just asked him like, who is it for? And he said, whoever wants it. So my youngest daughter, as I said, she was 2007. She was four. So I said, look, can Julian have it? I said, because I had two up in the attic for my other two children. Mm. So um, he said, yeah, but a lot of my friends and neighbours, he made cribs for them over the years. And when I go into their homes now at Christmas, he's there in front of me. <sighs> but the crib, the crib could never be given to anyone unless the red bulb was put into it and plug. I remember that so, so well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I have my crib, oh God, I suppose 30 odd years, and I've never had to replace the bulb. Um, but the bulb, the crib wasn't considered finished by him until the bulb, the lead, and the plug were actually part and parcel of the crib. Yeah. It's incredible. But aren't they fantastic yeah. to have that now? Absolutely. For, for all of you to have it. Absolutely. Yeah, we absolutely love our cribs. You know, and as I said, we left the little figurines to us to get because we knew we'd have our own style. But um, no, once we had the crib, and he always he always told us like make sure you put straw in to keep to keep the baby Jesus warm. I mean, and I suppose as children, when you're told that every year, you know it does sink in. Of course, it does, yeah. And how so, how was your mum, Colette? How how was her health? Not a bother, friend. She's selective hearing, and after that, she's perfect. <laughs> thanks be to God. 
she's flying it, you know. She's 84 now this year, so... And, no, 85 in March. Right. Um, and she's flying it, thanks be to God. Does, does she know um, that you're chatting about her today? No, she doesn't, because no. she killed me. <laughs> Would she? But, <clears throat> yeah, but I had a brother friend killed on the road back in 1998. No. My mother was just coming up to 60. Um, he was killed two weeks before her 60th birthday, and I think... Um, her therapy at the time, you know, people are saying, go to councils, do this, do that. But her therapy at the time was she actually started to learn to drive and she passed her driving test at 64 years of age. Did so we are, we are super proud of her. She's, a, she's an amazing woman. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, that must brilliant. have been so difficult for her at the time to deal with your brother's death, yeah? Um, it, no, it killed my father, friend. Um, yeah, he couldn't enjoy life anymore. But my mother thought, right, Pat lived his life every day as if it was his last. And she took that on board. But like anyone here around me will tell you, my mother is an amazing woman. Um, like when she comes up to visit me, I have to scrub the place from top to bottom because if I don't want to know, she'll tear into it when she comes. She's cutting grass, trimming it. She's she fantastic. Absolutely, she? yeah. She's and your, brilliant. your poor dad took it so badly. <clears throat> yeah, no, he couldn't. I suppose, look, he couldn't come to the come to terms with it that he, he was burying a child before him. I know. Um, so I suppose, look, we just think it was a get-out clause for him, you know. He wasn't happy, and he was quite happy to go and meet Patton, you know. So I suppose, look, everyone deals with it differently. Absolutely. But, um, Absolutely, indeed. Yeah. Isn't your mother fantastic? Absolutely well, she's fantastic. Br- she's brilliant, friend. Yeah. Do you know, and if she doesn't live to see her hundred, she'll be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we wish her a long, long life still, and many, many more years. Thanks very much, Colette, it was lovely to talk to you. I was and so you taken with your story, and thank you so much. Thank you. No problem at all. Thanks thank a million, friend. Happy Christmas to yeah. you all. And many happy returns to you, Colette. Right, bye bye to you now. That's Colette talking to us uh, today. How do you feel about that? 1800 You know what we're going to do tomorrow? We're going to talk a little bit about grandparents. Parenting, and uh, we'll be hearing from grandparents, from uh, both uh, granddads and grandmums, and all of that. And we'll be chatting about it because Jody brought it up there that very special bond, seemingly, uh, that's there with uh, grandchildren. So we're going to uh, continue with that conversation tomorrow. So if you're a grandparent, and if you'd like to share with us tomorrow and talk to us about that, um, we'd love to hear from you because Liam was on to us and he says, uh, Fran, Jody is so right about grandchildren. I'm experiencing the very same right now. It's a beautiful, beautiful feeling. Somebody else saying she was spoiling grandchildren is the only revenge a parent has. <laughs> we'll take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 
As you know, I know little or nothing about uh, soccer, but uh, my good friend Austin was on uh, to tell me, Fran, in case you're missing it, wait for it. Argentina are losing to Saudi Arabia with 19 minutes left in their match. What an upset it could be. Yeah, because didn't somebody tell me, is Argentina, are they favourites in in the World Cup or something? Anyway, Austin, thank you so much indeed for that. Now, you heard Colette with her fond memories of Christmas and Joe speaking to us yesterday. And as we know, some of the Christmas nights are are up already on the streets and around towns and villages around the county. Some retail premises decked themselves out with decorations already. But when exactly is it acceptable to put up decorations? Well, Barry joins me. Barry, good morning to you. Hi, friend. And lovely to talk to you, Barry. You don't do decorations at all. Is there a touch of bah humbug here? Maybe. I don't know. I just don't see the point. Look, let me tell you what it's like when... I'm 47 years old, right? Mm-hmm. My dad is 90. Now, let me tell you what it's like when a middle-aged man and an elderly man live alone together. 90% of it is just grimly getting on with it. Mm-hmm. Right? If a speck of joy appears on the horizon, one of us will rise to the occasion and stamp it out. <laughs> my, dad, my dad doesn't even like the little red light that comes on under the television when it's down standby mode. You know, that's too there's, much cheer for him. There's just too much sense of celebration about that, is there? Well, I don't know. I mean, you can't stop it. Yes, I don't. So Christmas, I, I was reading an article you wrote, wrote for the journal some time ago, did, and, yes. and, and there's a real touch of bah humbug about this. And I really was taken with the with the kind of comments you got afterwards. They yes. they didn't enjoy your piece. No, I see. I was commissioned by the journal to write an article from the atheist perspective, right? Because mm. I'm an atheist. What could you do for me? Yes. And um, the but I think they were expecting some sort of attack on religion or something. But instead, I just took all the well loved, the best loved aspects of Christmas and utterly trashed them for the purposes of humour. Right, okay. I think a lot but, of people took me seriously. One, one lady said I should, um, uh, uh, I don't know if this is like the right time, but she said you should do us a favour and kill yourself, she said. My God. Mm. My God. And this same, this same person, three minutes later, said in that same exchange, I don't know why the writers of these articles don't come in and talk to us more often. In the comments section. Oh, for God's sake. I said, well, I think I might have cracked that mystery. <laughs> I think so, indeed. Some other people under the comments, they said, did somebody pee in your cornflakes? Yes. Um, another person described it as a caustic rant, like a movie. It's a caustic, well, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they completely misjudged your intention, or, or did they? Well, you see, I live my life with so much irony and sarcasm that I'm not entirely sure myself what's sincere anymore. I'm just trying to make people laugh. Right, well, you, you certainly made... I was trying to be funny. Yeah, you certainly made me laugh with it anyway. Um, well, that's good. You said it never made sense to you at all. You see, how much of this is true now and how much of this is, is satire? That's true. I did have to sit my parents down one year and explain the whole thing about did Santa Claus. Yes. yes. Okay. And it was, it, was, it was terrible watching their little faces fall, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, no nine-year-old needs to have that in their life. But sure, look, they had to find out someday, didn't they? One of my favourite lines of the article is that you feel that there's a special place in hell reserved for the sort of person who is so full of seasonal cheer that they say things like, Christmas Eve, Eve. Yeah, I can't. There's just... And you know what happened? I linked to that on my social media. And, of course, all my friends said, oh, I'll see you on Christmas Eve, Eve. So I don't talk to them anymore. I see. Is that the way it is indeed, yeah. Do you wear team socks, Fran? You might as well just tell me now. No. No, God, no, I don't. Okay, good. Then you're okay. It was insisted some years ago by my lovely daughter that I would wear a Christmas jumper, though. Well, now, you you see, you have kids. Yes, I do. I can understand engaging in all sorts of meaningless gibberish if you have kids. 
I get that lights and colours and so on. That's yes. fine. Right. But for grown-ups, you know, there comes a, a, a time when you stop making a big deal about these things and stop worrying about birthday parties and that age is 10. But I'm, I'm imagining your home at Christmas and I have the sort of Charles Dickens kind of a, an idea about it with old Scrooge there. and I, Like, is that the way it is? It is, yeah. With, with, with fingerless mittens, we turn down the paraffin lamps <laughs> on Christmas Eve, Eve. With the snow, with the snow pelting down outside and all no. of that. Yeah. yeah. My, and you know what? My ex-wife, you know, she, she hated bounty bars, but she loved Christmas. <laughs> so from her, so from her point of view, what we did is when, when, we, when we were still married, I'd like throw up a tree with a few lights on it every year, you know, and then she'd stay on for another year. But I didn't do it one year and, and here we all are. <laughs> that was it. You, you feel rather strongly about Brussels sprouts. Oh, come on. Really? <laughs> I actually like love them. them. I love well, no, them. No, you don't. Stop lying to your listeners. No, you know, they can no. tell from the tone of voice that you're lying. <laughs> no, I do. I do love them, but but there is a caveat, okay. and and that is they have to be boiled to death. They have to be. Oh really yeah, sure. Squidgy. Yeah, if you take everything that makes them a Brussels sprout and remove it, then they might be palatable. I, yeah. I grant you that. Yeah. I never. I never thought of that. Yeah. And, and nobody what? has Brussels sprouts. Any other, and nobody eats like they, I guess a bit, but not much. We don't eat turkey outside Christmas because it's the worst of the meats, and we don't eat Brussels sprouts outside Christmas because they're the worst of the Brussels sprouts. And why would we need cranberry sauce and ham and lots what? of gravy? To what have you got against ways? cranberry sauce? Sure, isn't it gorgeous? Yeah. So what? That's what I'm saying. We need that to take Sorry. the edge off it. <laughs> Oh, off the taste. Cranberry sauce. It's the fact that we need it to, to, to disguise the taste of this horrific, horrific stuff. Right. Like I, any, any normal roast chicken dinner is superior to, to the, what, what we get on Christmas. You see, I, I love turkey as well. I eat it every day. I love it. The Just lies continue, yeah. <laughs> that's fine, yeah. That, I mean, you can lie don't. your way through, through Tip <laughs> FM all day and all night, friend. I don't do you mind. Know? Do you know, I've been sort of attacked on this programme all day today. It's just, it's just, it's just, <laughs> I'm sorry, am I just adding to the... <laughs> you're adding I'm to sorry, it indeed, yeah. I'm but, sure but you're delightful. Tell, tell me, oh yeah, I'm wonderful. Every house should have one. Tell me this, Barry. Please. Every house does have one, friend. <laughs> please tell me you give gifts, at least. Do you not give oh, something no. to your dad? No. Can you imagine? What do you He's mean, 90. no? What can I give him that he hasn't already dismissed? <laughs> No, no, I can't. I, I, I referred in my article to the whole the whole ecosystem of gift giving as uh, a, a counterproductive viper's nest of social expectations. I can't stand it. The whole thing annoys me. <laughs> I see. If you, give, if you give me something you think is nice, what you've asked, actually given me is uh, uh, the expectation of, of that I'm going to, first of all, appreciate it when I don't care, and secondly, I have to give you something back. And, and would you not like... I, I don't know, extended family members to come and say hello and visit and hug you and stuff like that. Really? You want me to expose myself to that sort of humiliation? Is that what you're asking me to do? <laughs> what are you up to these days, Barry? What's going on? How come you don't have any children every single year? That, where are the kids? Click to be click, you're 47. Yeah, you want to get on with things, yeah. Yeah, I don't need to be hearing that. Right, I see. You're destroying I Christmas for all of us now, you know I that. I keep my loved ones at a distance, as far as possible away from me. Right. Hmm. And For their own benefit, you know. I, I, I can. I'm, I'm beginning to understand that, Barry. Funny enough, yeah. yourself, yeah. What, what, what about the cost of it all? I mean, is that is that part of your your sort of? Well, I mean, it's not. The, you mean the commercialisation of it? Yeah. Well, just yeah. What it costs us. I mean, we, we're well, we're forced into buying everything and anything for it. I suppose it's what Jesus would have wanted, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, our credit card debt that we can't replay, uh, repay until April. It's what he would have wanted. Do you know? I thought it was sarcastic till I met you. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> I get a lot of that, yeah. Well, I thought I was an asshole until I met you, but I get a lot of that, yeah. No, look, I guess it's nice to have lights and so on because it cheers people up during what are these definitely dark times, right? right? But I don't know if the best way to deal with the despair we're getting over energy prices and climate change is to have a bunch of lights going full metal jacket all around our houses in our town, you know? Maybe more research needed on that. Stop trying to apply logic to any of this, will you please? You get a load of rubbish and a load of, like, jokes and you get one logic. That's the deal. I don't know. Right, please tell me you're not really like this, and this is some persona that you're adopting. And well, like I said, uh, I, I've been doing this irony and sarcasm thing for about thirty years now, and I'm not sure myself. That's if anyone figures it out, let me know. Absolutely. My dad, yeah. my dad has gone wrecked with me. He doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> I feel for him. I really do. Yeah. Are you still writing, or did this put people off from from yeah. having anything from you? Well, uh, yeah, I, I write all the time, but people, I think. My my audience would be would value cynical sarcasm. Right. Okay. Mm. Someone once described my writing as constantly trashing on everything, which is fair, I think. Well, I only have the example of one article, and that yeah, I'd go along with that so far. Anyway, <laughs> the rest of it is pretty much like that. <laughs> well, it's, but it's supposed to be funny. I want to make people laugh, even it, if it's cynical. It's hugely funny indeed, and people can see that it's still up there on the journal, isn't it? It is still up there, yeah, despite, yeah. despite if the you want, legal If you want a laugh there. and if you're of this disposition, I would highly recommend it to you because it's, it's, mm. it's fun. But you were, you, 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 you were taken aback by people taking it. Absolutely. I true. was taken aback by the sheer violence of, of, of the threats and the menace and, and the, the, the physical threats. And I, I don't know how they're attenuated through internet comments, but I was taken aback. I mean, I knew I'd get a negative reaction from people who don't understand how satire works, but I didn't expect death threats, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, how does one guy not digging Christmas affect you at all, you know? I, mean? I know, I know. I just, I just love it. Barry, it was a delight to talk to you. Thank you so yeah, much you for your time today. My best to your sure. poor suffering dad as well. Thanks, man. Right. Thanks, thanks, Barry. Bye. Bye-bye to you. That's Barry Purcell there. He enjoyed that. Uh, somebody else saying, I love Brussels sprouts boiled to death. It's the only way I can, uh, I can eat them. And they have to be boiled preferably in the ham water because then they're very salty and gorgeous. Uh, I'm not bad humbug. I love Christmas, but I don't do decorations says somebody else. Yeah, interesting. Um, Eileen was on to us and says, uh, Colette's story reminded me of something similar that happened to me, Fran, many years ago. I started work in Dublin. I saw a coat to die for in Arnott's. That's posh. But was about uh, six months wages at the time. I did every bit of overtime going and after crimping and saving for months, I was able to buy the coat. I brought it home and I wore it around Christmas for the next three years. The fourth year, went home on Haas, went to the wardrobe to get it. It wasn't there. My dear mother had noticed I rarely wore it. So out of the goodness of her heart, she gave it to a lady who used to call around back then. Fran, what can I say? Devastation, total heartbreak over my precious coat. But I didn't let on. Uh, to herself, how I felt, says Eileen. Isn't that amazing altogether? All right, 1800-938-007. All right, we'll take a break. Back in a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Barry there about how much I love Sprouts, even though he doubted my integrity on it. But uh, my lovely cousin Marie was on, and she has a recipe for creamy Brussels sprout soup. And it looks absolutely delicious and gorgeous. 
and uh, all sorts of stuff in. But uh, yeah, strange with cottage cheese in there, onion sprouts, cottage cheese, pour into a blender, blitz till smooth. Return it to the pan, add some salt and pepper to taste. And as I say, it looks gorgeous. Yeah, I wonder would anybody cook cook that for me? Yeah, I have two chances of that. I suppose Jane is with me. Jane, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Jane, you keep your Christmas decorations up all year round? Yeah, I do. I'm in full swing now. Are you? <laughs> I am, yeah. I, I just love it. Like, as I said before, I just, like, Christmas is my favourite time of the year. And as I said, like, I just want to keep that feeling going, like... Why is it so special to you, Jane? I don't know, like, as I said before, like, I always have, like, Christmas memories, you know, my favourite time was always Christmas and just that whole feeling around it, like... So much so that you try and hold on to it for 12 months of the year? I think so. I think as I as I grew up, like, you know, and I moved out and got my own home, I just said, like, why not, like, you know... You know that feeling you get, you know yourself when you take down your Christmas decorations. I know, the yeah. Just give you thinking, oh, it looks as bare. Yeah. So I just said, like... Just but you, you change the decorations, like, around Easter and Halloween and stuff, so you give it a different flavour depending on what season we're in, is that I it? do, yeah. I'll have... So when Christmas is over now, I'll have a New Year's tree, and then I'll be going into my Valentine's one and then my Patrick's Day one, and I just keep it going, so... I have different boxes for different occasions and I just take down and put up. (laughs) I I think it's absolutely gorgeous. What do people make of it when they come into your home, Jane? Oh, they don't want to go. Do they not? (laughs) They're like, it's so so snug and it's so nice and it's so homely. I mean, you know yourself when you're sitting there and the wind is, and rain is beating off the window. And you know yourself when you have your tree up, it's just, just uh, no feeling, yeah. I absolutely love Christmas. I love the twinkling yeah. lights and the and the whole thing. Have you special yeah. memories of of Christmas as a child, Jane? I it's not special. I think it was just like you know, it's just the feeling of you know warmth and just safe and I it, it, I just love Christmas and it's just everything associated with it. Isn't that great? What so, did you? Yeah. I'm not sure if you got a chance to listen to Barry there, but what 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 did you make of that? Um, I wasn't listening now to tell you the no truth. No problem. Well, he, was, he was kind of bad humbug, even though there's a lot of satire about uh, what he was saying, but look, doesn't I, believe I, in presents or... or. Uh, look, there's so much negativity and there's so much going on in the world. Like, you know, why wouldn't you just do something? You know, I know times are tough for a lot of people now, but, you know, you could work around it, like even just put up your battery lights, go into deals and, you know, just turn it on while the kids are up turn it off you know there's a way around it of course yeah you would have yeah. loved I, I was travelling on the bypass in Clonmel this morning early I don't know whatever time it was quarter past seven or so and there was a guy walking his dog and didn't he have Christmas lights wrapped around the dog and a little coat on the dog oh yeah that would be me as well yeah <laughs> and it was twinkling and it looked absolutely <laughs> yeah. wonderful yeah, absolutely I, wonderful I literally have my, my car to be lit up as well like I just be like the guards are going to stop me now <laughs> what you, ha- you have Christmas lights in your car I I would, yeah, but I don't have them flashing. I have them on the front and on the back, and I have a little Christmas tree in the back. <laughs> I'm Is kind of, it's going outside my house now, and I'm like, okay, maybe I do actually have a problem. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I better. Literally, I everything is done up by myself. Although when I go out with my friends on a, for a Christmas night out, I literally to be done up like a Christmas tree. I'd be like, yes, I love this. Just done up to the I night. think it's brilliant. And yeah. do, you, do you have lights outside of the house as well? Uh, 
not at the moment because I'm doing a bit outside the house, so it's kind okay. of yeah. Right. I can heat, but everything inside. I mean, you can. I have like, I'm the only person in the estate at the moment who have the decorations up, so you can, can't but see. I mean, if you pass my window and you didn't see lights in the window, there'd be something wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> they'd be like, "What's after happening today?" And like, do you know what I mean? So yeah, I just yeah. I just love it. I, so many of us are losing our sense of joy. Do you, yeah. do you know that, Jane? I really I, believe that. Yeah, I, that's why I says like, you know, do whatever makes you happy. Like, you know, when you come inside your front door, that's your safe space. That, you know, you can do what you want to. And I said, you know, when I get my own house, I'm going to leave my decorations up for longer. And that kind of happened. And I was like, oh, I can't leave them up now. I need to do something else. So that's where that came from. And then, like, I'd much rather, like, buy Christmas decorations or buy decorations, you know, than going out to the pub or, you know, that yeah, yeah. that's my thing. So... And Everyone has their own thing, I suppose. Yeah, but why Why not? And I'm sure that, you know, people who pass by, they get a kick out of it as well and it gives them a smile. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, like, there'd be something wrong if I didn't have lights in the window or, you know, if somebody looked in and they didn't see the tree. <laughs> they'd be like, what's going on? Are you afraid, yeah. Jane, that we might be losing some of this, some of this? I, I think, you know, given today's circumstances, okay, like, you know, like given the electricity bills and people are afraid like but if you think wisely like and spend wisely like you know buy something small every week or you know like that's what I do for my Christmas presents like I have a box in the spare room and I buy like one present a week like I start months ahead of Christmas so then when Christmas comes like I'm not under any pressure but giving presents is, is important to you well, not so much the presents, but I can understand, like, people have that fear, you know, Christmas coming, money, money, and, yeah, you know, yeah. they put themselves under pressure. So to budget like, for it, I suppose, yeah, is what you mean, Jane, yeah. That's what I do. Like, I buy something small every week, I put it in a box in the spare room, and then come Christmas week, I take it out, everything is there, I'm not under any pressure. And I think if a lot of people did that, they wouldn't be under so much pressure, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a big mm. gift just something small then at least you know you have it there you know you're not under you're not putting yourself under pressure Absolutely well it's very good advice I mean any of the financial people that I speak to Jane that's exactly yeah. what they tell us yeah. uh, to do. rather than borrow big sums of money around yeah. Christmas time is prepare for it and budget for it I Yeah I mean there's enough pressure on people nowadays without you know just oh, something know. small even if you say to your family friends look you're getting one small gift you know make a pact with each other that you know, not to spend over 10 or 15 euro. Just buy something small, put it in the room and just forget about it. Same come Christmas, dear sorted. Well, it sounds sounds you know? lovely indeed. Uh, Jane, I wish you a very happy Christmas and happy lovely, Christmas lovely to talk to you, Jane. Thank you. Thank Yay. you. Bye-bye to you. Happy daughter. Christmas. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> That's Jane from her uh, Christmas decoration covered home. Uh, decorations up all year round is great, isn't it? Helen joins me now. Helen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today. How how do you feel about Christmas decorations, Helen? The way I look at it is it's up to each person to decide whether they want to put them up on the 1st of November or the 1st of December or the 24th of December. And what about you, Helen? Mine are going up on the last Sunday in November. Okay. So you... no, they used always, Fran. Oh. When my two were little, I always had them up in time for my son's birthday on the 13th of December. Uh, but now my grandson has come along and they go up much earlier. 
Isn't that interesting? So, and that's for his sake, obviously, Helen. It is, but I get some cake out of it too. I have a lot of blue lights because I find blue light is very calming and it lifts the kind of depression that's around this time of year, you know, with the, the dark nights and all the bad weather. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because, of course, we all assume that everything is joyful at Christmas. But for a lot of people, it's a, it's a difficult time, Helen, I suppose. It is for people who are recently bereaved. Yeah. For example, it's a horrific time. People who are alone and have nobody coming to yes. it's It's a very tough time. And then for people who just don't believe in Christmas, think of a whole load of hogwash and there's pressure put on them and their mates feel like they're just weird and wrong and bad people and they're not how they feel and so you believe in live and let live Helen whatever anybody does to make themselves happy I suppose absolutely and I'm a vegetarian so I'm very much in live and let live yeah right but but so what do you do instead of turkey and ham and all of that I do a a nut roast or I might do some kind of vegetable wrap in filo pastry something I'll do something Right, and and do people around you eat turkey and ham? Oh, I cook it for them. No problem. And that that's no problem to you? Not a bit of it, no. I'm a vegetarian because I am. I don't like the taste or texture of any of meat, fish, fowl, any of that. Um, huh. But I've no problem cooking it. Right. I wouldn't turn around and say, oh, that cow is my friend. I might say my friend is a cow or something. <laughs> <laughs> There's a subtle difference there, Helen. Is that what you're saying? There is, and that subtle difference could get me a broken job. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> That's very interesting, though. And were you always a, very, a vegetarian? Since I was 27. Right, okay. And was there a road to Damascus thing? Like, was there something that triggered it, or...? Do you know what triggered it was? And it was a slow journey. I was about eight years old and we were down at a farmer's house um, and the woman in the house put up a a rabbit, a roast rabbit. I couldn't touch it. I couldn't get the image of the rabbit out of my head uh, jumping around the field. And uh, then after that, I just thought the fish looked so sweet that I couldn't touch them. And finally, chicken. Just before I gave up me everything, I think, um, I looked at a roast, uh, a raw chicken, and I thought it reminded me of my grandmother's hands. Of her she hands, Helen. Oh, her <laughs> She's passed now, so I'll right. be okay saying this. They were very wrinkly. So, <laughs> you know, like so look at a chicken. Uh, yeah. So they reminded so, you of her hands. They reminded me, and I thought, oh, God, I couldn't, I couldn't touch this. Oh, my God almighty. And would you go so far as being vegan? No, I tried it, but I lost too much body heat. And I don't see any point in it. I need dairy products, especially as a woman who's had a hysterectomy and is completely um, uh, with a perimenopause. That I, I need to have... Calcium, uh, calcium and dairy and yes, all of that, yes. I do, yeah. And the easiest way to do it is through dairy and I love cheese. Fran, if you were made of cheese, you wouldn't be sitting there now and have you eaten. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, that ranks among some of the strangest things that have been said to me on this programme, Helen. <laughs> 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 I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm delighted to hear about it. I, I love to be vegetarian, but I, I love, I just adore turkey. And I, I, I can't understand when people say they get sick of turkey at Christmas. I just love it. Well, do you know, Fran, 
know, when I hear people saying, oh, I get sick of turkey, and this is flipping Stephen's day, and I'm mm. thinking, you are great for shower of so and so's. Yes. Yes, yeah, so and so's. The language might even be stronger. Can you not appreciate that you have this lovely food? Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. Do you have turkey every day? Do you have a big roast Christmas dinner every day? Oh. So appreciate it and stop mourning. And and are we mourning and whinging too much, do you think, Helen? I think that mourning and whinging about the Christmas dinner uh, being around after Christmas Day has always gone on. But yeah. for now, I mean, life is very tough for most of us and there's reason to complain. And if we don't complain... It just festers inside and causes illnesses. So we have to let it out. Yeah, you see, we let it out when we're sort of one-to-one and uh, at, at the bar counter and stuff. But we're, we're not good to protest properly. Except for stuff like when it came to the water charges. Well, that the water charges, that was the one thing that dragged everybody out in the streets, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. And then recently when AIB wanted to bring in those, um, or withdraw their, their, their services, yeah. And there were some protests, and I was involved in one of those protests and had also in, um, emailed every single TD senator and the president of Ireland about how much against the, this move I was. Well, fair play and, to you. Yeah. And do, did you get a reply from them all, Helen? I got a reply from quite a number. Um, now, I used to be a Sinn Féin member, so this is why I'm just uh, mentioning that, that that party. I received replies from most of the Sinn Féin TDs, with the exception of our own local TD. All right. I'm, I'm surprised at that, because normally he's very good to uh, reply. Um yeah, And why do you say you're no longer a member of Sinn Féin, Helen? Is that No, I'm not, no. All right. Okay. Oh, no, I just couldn't take it anymore. So, But I'd still be a supporter of Sinn Féin, the party, but I had to cease my involvement. OK, OK. Um, uh, even though next time round there's a good chance that Sinn Féin might be part of part of government. So it'll be... I hope so. I think we need a huge change. And the way I look at it, if Sinn Féin gets in, let them let, let us see what they do. And rather than going, oh, they'll be all the same or they'll bring us into war or anything like that. We may as well be in a war with what's happening to us because of the Ukraine. And just tell me what you mean by that now. Because of the escalating fuel and food prices. Oh, yes. The yeah, shortage yeah. of things in supermarkets is becoming more marked. Yeah, we're, we're, we're paying a price that's similar to a wartime situation. Is we what are. Yeah. And the amount of homelessness for Irish people is so devastating. Mm. And now we're told that the government won't be able to meet their um, targets, their plans yeah. for mm. their targets. And yet the money is there to build modular homes for refugees. And I'm, I'm just not getting it. Why can't they split it down the middle? Because yes, certainly these refugees need to be looked after. But at what cost to all people? Do our people matter less? All right, Helen. Well, you bring it's up some, a moral question. I you, think you bring up some very interesting topics, and it's something we deal with on the show quite a bit. It was lovely to talk to you, Helen. I hope you have a lovely Christmas. Okay, you too. Happy Christmas. Thanks, Fran, and Thank Emma. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. You know that's uh, Helen this morning, and that's uh, bringing our program to a close. Just before I go, a regular contributor to the show, John McGrath and Cashel, he lost his phone possibly around the square in Care or at Eli Centra in Cashel. Now, it's one thing losing your phone, but his dad's funeral videos are on uh, the phone, so it's really, really important to him that he gets it back. Uh, it's in a brown wallet and it has a fisherman 
on the phone itself. Okay, so it should be easy enough to to identify. And John tells us there will be a reward if found. So if you picked up that phone, it could be around Eli Centre in Cashel or indeed around the square in Care somewhere. And if you could give us a call here, even after the programme, 1800-938-007. We'll reunite John with his phone. That's it for me. Emma produced. Ali looks after our content. Stephen is on the way and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye now. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.